Experience, folks, today the WWE is headed to Saudi Arabia, AEW is headed up the creek without a paddle, and Inspector Clouseau is almost finished with his investigation. The innocent victims will be brought to justice. And, folks, now to join me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co host to you, the major domo of the wrestling news. The only ferryman you can pay in advance because he always gets you to the other side. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. Although I must say, you are a cancer in the Arcadian Vanguard Shock Jock Lounge. And when I say that, what I mean is do what I say or else. Well, I'll tell you what now, pal. Just don't be bandying those words around like cancer and tuberculosis and whooping cough and things of that nature. Pooping belch. Got to be civilized. Well, I had a case of that last year. It, and I'll tell you what, it takes a while to go away. Drink some milk of magnesia. It's Halloween weekend. The big question is, is Tony Khan going to dress up like his little dog pockets again this year? What do you think? Or, or is he going to cosplay another one of his action figures? Well, I think it's bad form to have the same costume for multiple years after you're a child. Do you do you remember when the costume phase for the Halloweeny uh wrestling shows came into being in the early now when Vince when was he a prisoner? Cuz I mean now Vince would have never I don't think dressed up legitimately to go to a Halloween party as one of the boys. I don't think he would have gone but he he did do costume it wasn't the uh, toga party they had at Caesar's Palace for WrestleMania that year, poor JR shows up in the WWF. First time you see him, he's wearing a fucking sheet without a hood now. Bear, bear that in mind. But when was Vince the Prisoner? What show was that on in the early 90s? The Convict? In Sean O'Shea's dream, every day he's the prisoner, but... Well, yes. I don't remember when he did that, but the first... You remember the picture of it. He's wearing the old-fashioned, like, chain gang outfit with the stripe, the black and white stripes across the thing on one of the early 90s WWF events as a, as making a mockery of the federal government. They did a Saturday Night's Main event where the whole theme was Halloween early on. You had, like, the Iron Sheik dressed as Batman and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and a whole bunch of stuff like that, and then a fake house where... Well, I guess not a fake house, maybe a real house, but a fake setup where Vince and Roddy Piper are going to deal with trick-or-treaters, and Roddy's going to give them ridiculous things like painted bowling balls. <laughs> and then it ends with the kids one-upping Roddy Piper and Vince having a laughing fit. Well, you remember, obviously, Jim Hurd, everything he did was to try to copy on a much smaller scale with much less creativity and a much smaller budget anything that the WWF did. So at Halloween Havoc 90, remember, God damn it, uh, 
I can't remember what Jr. was. Wasn't that the, was he the Phantom of the Opera one year? Missy Hyatt was dressed up as the Wicked Witch at Halloween Havoc Night. It was in Chicago. Yeah. It almost killed the town. Uh, the They even got a special orange mat and had orange and black, I think, striped ring ropes. It, the whole ring looked like a fucking Reese cup. And I've told the story before, but that's where... The Midnight Express was on the opening match, supposedly against the Rock and Roll, which had been fine, but then Robert Gibson was hurt, so it was Riggy Morton and Tommy Rich, which, again, former NWA world champion and Riggy Morton, etc., but a put-together team in the opening match, we do the job. And we're supposed to be in an angle with the Southern Boys. And they're in, like, the third match against, I think, the Freebirds, and they're going to do the job because I'm going to come out dressed as a Confederate general to mock the Southern boys and fucking do whatever. But then we can't even leave with any heat because after I <laughs> make sure that our opponents in our program do a job just right after we did a job, then the baby faces drag me in the ring and beat me up. And that's when Janie Engel, bless her heart, had it told me we rented the costume in Atlanta. We got to take it back tomorrow. So don't let anything happen to it. So the first thing I told Tracy and Steve was I said, rip this goddamn coat right up the middle right off of me and then fucking whatever blah 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 they got somehow the coat was two sizes too small and the pants were two sizes too big and for my physique at the time that probably should have been reversed and it was just it was chaos but that's when it all the in the territory days, for those of you wanting some classic wrestling content here this week, in the territory days, even if they did something around a holiday or something with a holiday theme, whether it was Christmas or Thanksgiving or Fourth of July or Halloween, whatever the case, it wasn't an excuse for everybody to just on the show, wrestlers, announcers, referees, everybody to just go crazy and just look silly or act silly or do silly skits you tied in the holiday with you know the wrestling show but not to make the wrestling show just look silly and like everybody lost their mind if you know if it was christmas the big promotion was santa claus will be in the lobby giving out fucking candy to the kiddies or the kids get a special ticket price because especially people in the South had a lot of kids or at Thanksgiving, there'd be the big, you know, Thanksgiving spectacular in, in Greensboro or in this town or that town, and, you know, a big card, the NWA champion, but also we might give away some turkeys to the lucky fans coming in or whatever, but nobody was dressed and, or put the heel manager in a turkey outfit or tar and feather him because he's a big chicken but not just up and down the card and decorate the ring side with Christmas trees and Santa and his sleigh with fake reindeer or whatever the fuck. It, it's become so ridiculous that the holiday takes over the wrestling rather than the wrestling using the holiday as and families being together and, you know, people being off work as a way to sell more tickets. I mean, the Great American Bash, 4th of July, fireworks, music, live bands, and the wrestling. That didn't mean that 
every goddamn guy had to go out there and, and have bottle rockets shoved up his ass. What do you think, Brian? You know, there was a noticeable upkick in the campiness from Halloween Havoc 89 to Halloween Havoc 90. And Halloween Havoc 89, the first one, you were on the booking committee, pretty much brand new to the booking committee. Yeah. Were you against the concept? What did you think of the original concept? And like I said, from year one, it was a Halloween pay-per-view because of the time of year and it was in Philadelphia, a very dark and spooky place if there ever was one. <laughs> but other than that, you didn't have everyone in outfits. Not that I remember. I mean, maybe. Was Gordon Soley ever a vampire? You know, <laughs> goddamn, I'll tell you what. I don't know if they, it wasn't in 89, they may have done it, I, he, you know, they may have just taken a driver's license photo and, and just, you know, at that point in his life, poor, poor Gunn. But Halloween Havoc 89 was the, the Thunderdome cage match. Yeah. And. With Bruno as the referee in Philly. Yes. And we, I was obviously, like you said, I just started, I'd been there about six weeks. They had just started planning the show when I got on the booking committee and obviously Bruno was doing it as a favor because he was mad at Vince at that point in time over the various issues he was mad at Vince at and Bruno's name meant something in Philadelphia and he was the only guy that could keep order and it was oh god damn it it was Flair and Sting and Terry Funk and Muda Right? That's right. With Ole with Anderson Hart. and Gary Hart as the designated, what was it? The designated Terminators. Yes. Because it, it was a takeoff on the old, it, it was an amalgam of several different gimmick matches with the idea that Halloween, spooky theme, Philadelphia, big cage match, and it's going to be electrified. And there's no way in, no way out. And the corner men, the heartless Ole Anderson for Flair and Sting, and the heartless Gary Hart for the heels are the only ones that can signal when their tag team, their men have had enough. And that's the way that you win the matches when the other team, his guy calls it off. So it, this is, this was a big deal at the time. This was a big match and Bruno is referee in Philadelphia. And it, the, we didn't know that the cause was lost at this point and, and how show gates were, you know, still, they had some life in some places. So, but of course, that was the that was the nod to Halloween on that show. All the other matches were, you know, straight matches. But then that was the one where we got to the fucking electrified cage that Turner Broadcasting's people, because we were still at the point where we think it's a big television company. They know how to do or have people or can find people that know how to do this shit. Right. And that's what we had been sold the bill of good at the goods on because they not only had something wired up to obviously not shock anybody into swallowing their tongue, but like a electric fence kind of deal or something with special effect where you could you could actually get the gist of it and it would, you know, make the appropriate response or whatever. Well, as soon as they turned the thing on and Muda's going to try to climb out of the cage because he's the athletic one and he, I guess, goes up. The only the top area of the cage was electrified because obviously we didn't. Not only would it be completely fucking phony. But also it would be ridiculous if the whole thing was electrified. 
just the top, if you tried to get out, that was the barrier. So they could still run each other into the cage on, on down in the ring and use the cage as a weapon and not have to sell it every time like they're getting fried in old Sparky. So Muda goes up to demonstrate that. And as soon as they zap the juice or whatever the fuck they had done, they also had Halloween decorations like witches' brooms and old things you'd find in a fucking haunted house or whatever out of a burlap sack I saw somewhere, and the shit caught on fire from the pyro that they had and started smoking and burning. Well, that burlap is. Well, yeah, and I because they had to just you know dress overdress right shit up. So then. Muda goes up at it. That was the classic spot. He he blows the mist on the fucking burning burlap sack. And Tommy Young was a referee. He's up there trying to whack it with his fucking hand. And Muda blows the mist on it. And then they had to turn the shit off. Because I don't know whether it was the athletic commissioner, whether it was the building there at the Civic Center. But one of the others said, you've just set an unauthorized fire. And then now, now you, you know, if you want to continue the show, you can't do that again. So they had to turn the pyro or the Jew, whatever the fuck they'd set up off on the top of the cage. So the guys had to go up and when they'd grab it, they had to go, Oh golly. And just sell it like, Oh yeah. And Bruno had to be thinking, what the fuck have I done? That's how much, that's how much he hated Vince. The fact that he was there. He's in a fucking electrified cage. that got set on fire. That was the coolest moment as a kid though. That's one of the reasons why Muda couldn't stay a heel. Because as soon as you saw that, you love the guy forever. He's the coolest guy ever. Jesus Christ. But, you know, again, and in the 70s, people are going to say, oh, well, they had the mummy in the 70s at Halloween. And they had, especially in Tennessee, because Lawler loved horror movies and he had tons of monster mass. But somehow, even then, and people have said, they saw the mummy in Texas and one in the Carolinas and I did Florida at one point. out on the West Coast, whatever the case. And Dr. Frank, you know, that was uh, Lawler's Frankenstein monster. It was Ken Dillinger. And the famous story was actually, it was, it wasn't Ken Dillinger in the mask. It was, oh, goddamn, uh, he just passed away. And now I've gone blank on his name in Memphis. The the guy that helped Lawler and Jimmy Hart do records and all that stuff. Um Help me, Brian. That's not even one you know, is it? No, it is one I know, and his name is slipping me too. The guy who had the little record company. Yes. Um, Son of a bitch, he did the music with them. Yes. Well, we'll come anyway. He was in the box when they phoned in the bomb scare, and and they didn't get him out of the box. But Doctor Frank was a guy in a fucking padded up frankenstein outfit the old dusty jacket and the big boots and then a frankenstein mask and the mummy was just what the mummy sounds like and of course everybody made fun of me and i've made fun of myself for smoking Mountain wrestling in the 90s hey rick rubin wanted a mummy rubin wants a mummy man but at the same time jim blake jim blake thank you Good Lord. Both of us are all, well, you've got COVID. Now, are you going to get the brain fog now? As of this morning, I don't have COVID anymore. Okay, well, so COVID won't even stick around with you very long. You run everybody off. Well, you know. But anyway, nevertheless, what I'm saying is, in the territory days, 
they didn't present this as ridiculous because it wasn't supposed to really be a mummy or really be Frankenstein. And the fortunately, pre-internet and pre-sports entertainment, everybody didn't know the goddamn step-by-step granular minutia of the inner workings of the wrestling business. So the announcers could say that such and such heel manager, whoever, has brought this... Uh, well, obviously... This ain't the Frankenstein monster. This is some big fucking, he's six foot six and he's 300 pounds or he's not a mummy. He's not 3000 years old, but this fucking guy's a giant. He's near seven feet tall. He's got that arm that never bends. We think he has a, a metal rod in that, in that arm. It's all wrapped up. We can't tell. And that's what the heel mummy would knock the baby faces out with. And they would present it as this heel manager or whoever was the instigator behind this has got some giant fucking nut put this outfit on and fuck with everybody and scare it. It scared the kids. And they would present it as a legitimate threat to the baby faces for about two or three weeks until you found out, ah, the Achilles heel with the mummy or Dr. Frank or Duke Myers one time was the Colossus of death is that they got no mobility. They're not fast enough. The baby face can outsmart them. And once he gets them off their feet, well, it's like they're, they're fucking almost helpless because it takes some time to get back up and blah, blah, blah. And then you would steal a couple of houses and they'd be gone. And it still didn't have people. I've actually seen people mad enough after the mummy beat Jerry Jarrett with help from Sam Bass and that damned mummy's loaded fucking forearm that grown men were up on the fucking edge of the apron of the ring, pounding and screaming that something needed to be done and somebody needed to kill Sam Bass. Hey, the fact that Lawler didn't do a Michael Myers. Wrestler, does that mean he didn't like the Halloween movies? It must have. It must have. Because now that you think about it, every other we had, because I mean, let's face it. Yes, Lawler did go crazy with the uh, with the uh, pop culture monster movie or movie monsters and uh, superheroes. We had a Spider-Man. Spider-Man was a job guy from the Memphis area. I think he was from somewhere in Arkansas and he worked as rooster Cogburn because he was like normal adult height, six feet tall, but he couldn't have weighed more than 160 pounds. And that was in 1977, the most ludicrous sight you'd see in a pro wrestling ring is a guy only weighed 160 pounds or whatever. So Lawler got him a Spider-Man outfit and he worked for two weeks. And one of Wayne Ferris's first gimmicks after he uh, after he broke in was the kisser because Lawler was a Kiss fan, so he painted him up like Gene Simmons and put him in a Kiss body stocking with a Kiss fucking logo across his chest because he had the V neck in the stocking. And David Schultz, when he was a rookie, his first year, he was the Riddler for about no, actually. Goddamn, he'd been in the business for a couple of years. He must have just had heat with somebody because they made him in a Riddler outfit for like three weeks. Uh, we also had Igor, 
who was just the generic monster mask with a big fucking furry <laughs> tunic over the top of it. No, uh, no humpback though. No, because he couldn't be pinned then, so they couldn't do the hunchback. That was Ken Dillinger, too, I think. Ken Dillinger was Dr. Frank. The Mummy was Ron Wright in 1974 in Memphis for a few weeks, I believe. And we also had Frank Morell was Lucifer in a devil mask and the aforementioned Duke Myers, the Colossus of Death. And after you left, they had Freddy Krueger and Jason and all sorts of crazy shit going on. Hey, Jim, go, to go back to what we just said about Igor and the humpback, were you there when Hurd actually pitched the idea of a tag team that couldn't be pinned because they Yes! Had- yes, I was there! The hunchbacks! It is not a lie. It's not a rib. It's not an urban legend. The tag team that cannot be pinned. He literally said that in the... Me, Ric Flair, Kevin Sullivan, Jim Barnett, Jody Hamilton... Um, Jim Ross, who would I be leaving out that was in the room? That was before the Terry Funk was involved. You say Barnett? I said Barnett, didn't I? Um, but, but yes. Was he telling Hurd it was a good idea? (laughs) No, no, no. Hurd would, we were all somewhat stunned, right? And nobody was jumping in to defend it. But that was a, yeah, they see. They call them the hunchbacks, and they're both, they got the outfits on, whatever he described, and they got the big hump on their back, so you can't pin them. So they're unbeatable. They're the only unbeatable tag team, and that's the gimmick, is if you try to pin one shoulder, well, the other shoulder roll over, and that's when, and Ole, did I mention Ole? Because this is the kicker to the story, Ole was there. That's when Ole said, okay, Jim, book them with me, your unbeatable tag team. The bell will ring, the match will start, I'll grab one of them, slap an armbar on him, and make him submit. I just beat your unbeatable tag team. And that's what Hurd said, oh, God damn it, Ole, you know what I mean, I'm trying to say. And that is an Anderson Brothers match right there. Yes. And, but, yeah, that was legitimate. That was absolutely not made up. Imagine Halloween, everybody. Did you ever think what would have happened... Again, it didn't, thankfully, would have driven you even more crazy. But what if Hurd had been right? What if, his, <laughs> what if his bad ideas had worked and it caused him to unleash further ideas? Well, the thing is, it didn't really, the bad ideas not working didn't really stop him from having more bad ideas. Remember, the, it, the ding-dongs did not just work that one TV taping and, and were never seen again. They went around the loop for a few weeks. Um, it's the one, if we could only, when they got the, the rights to the Turner classic movies or Turner had all the MGM movies, there was no Turner classic movie back then, but you know what? They got the rights to all the movies and the Turner umbrella. And that's when he said, Oh, if we could just find a one legged wrestler, we could have long John silver that made the papers in the Atlanta journal constitution. Um, but what if so it he, did, he didn't back off from what Boy, if, the the what first if, fucking ding dongs <laughs> match when those little bells every time they took a bump in those full body suits that had the little jingle bells like on your Christmas stocking attached to them and the bells were just rolling because they're little balls jingle balls of bells 
and they're rolling all over the ring and the guys are trying not to step on them and turn their ankle. And every time they take a bump, then the ring starts jingling and the people at the TV audience. And this was somewhere like Gainesville, Georgia or Rainsville, Alabama. This was not a big city crowd and they were fucking scoff laughing at it. You go, what were you going to say? I don't know. We were talking about, oh, I remember <laughs> what I was going to say. Like, imagine if Flair had said, okay, I will be Spartacus. And then it worked. And somehow he became a pop culture icon as Spartacus, Ric Flair. What other ideas? I mean, he tried to have other incorporation with not just contemporary movies, but classic films from the Turner archive. <laughs> I mean, that's the other funny thing. People think you're out of touch. You're not like, hey, let's have characters based on Harold Lloyd movies or whatever the fuck he was doing. Hey, you know, you know what? Actually, I just thought of something. I told him one day, what about a character based on Captain Bly and looked right at him? <laughs> he didn't get it. Uh, you know, yeah, I fortunately, unfortunately, whatever the case, we'll never know whether any of Jim Hurd's ideas would have actually worked because none of them ever did. So to wrap this up, I guess you're not against the idea of a Halloween, a show around Halloween, with maybe a Halloween overall theme. You just don't want it to become all of a sudden a one week special where everyone is a child and spooky. Well, yeah, happens. it just loses their mind and gets, you know, fucking dunked in the punch bowl for no reason. Not because it's to get heat on a heel, but just because it's, there's a punch bowl sitting there. You know, that's a, I mean, I did the Halloween scream tour in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, which was basically just Halloween weekend and a chance to fucking, you know, give a show a name and give it the big lineup. And I think we gave out candy to the kids or whatever. Yeah, you would get, oh, you would get a contest for the fans? Like, wear your favorite costume if you have a Halloween show? I don't know that we went that far, because then we'd just be pissing some people off that didn't win. But And, and then there was that one, to, uh, again, one of my favorite stories, and I'll leave it at this. In Memphis, they're going to, Monday night fell on Halloween one year. 83, I think it was. And again, they had a big card of wrestling, but it wasn't like the matches were tied to Halloween. But they know that back in those days, they're fighting parents taking their kids out and trick-or-treating like you used to do before all the, you know, illegal aliens who double as, you know, big-budget drug dealers started giving away free fentanyl to kids for absolutely no reason, and we've actually never had a case of that documented, but you see it on the news all the time. Nevertheless, so back then they were just worried about a sewing needle in an apple, and I always figured any kid that fucking got an apple for Halloween and actually ate it, deserved what he got. So, what the hell does that mean? What? Who wants to eat a fucking apple? For You can get an apple for any day of the week or the month of the year from your fucking mother and she'll praise you for eating it. You want to load up on fucking Reese cups and goddamn candy that'll give you the shits for three days. You came home from school, maybe you had a school party for Halloween, you're out there doing stuff, you're with your friends, you're all dressed up, you're getting all these you're getting more candy. Maybe you want to mix it up. Well, is there fucking, is the, can, is the apple dipped in chocolate or caramel or something like that? That I wouldn't trust. Well, in that case, then, fuck anybody that just gives some kid an apple for fucking Halloween. What kind of goddamn narc are they? There were actually some women when I was a kid that you'd go to the house that would give you, like, pennies. Like, what the fuck are yes, you supposed to oh, do with this? Yes, yes, yes. And every once in a while, you get a nickel, too. 
That was, that was a big deal back where, back where I came from. But nevertheless, so the point is they come out on Memphis TV on Saturday morning and say, hey, folks, we know it taking your kids out to trick-or-treat these days. It can be awful dangerous out there. So come on down to the Mid-South Coliseum because <laughs> what they did was they had all these rooms like janitor's closets and broom closets and empty uh, you know, ticket booth rooms or whatever in the breezeway of the Coliseum set up to be the houses of all the baby faces. Like here's Bill Dundee's house and here's the fabulous one's house and here's rock and roll express house or whatever. <laughs> and they would let the kids come by and they gave them some candy and said, whenever they come by knock on the door, give them some candy. Right. So they're trick or treating with the baby faces. And that was a selling point. Bring your kids to get to trick or treat from the big wrestling stars. And you can imagine the guys wanted to sit in the goddamn janitor's closet on a mop bucket and hand out Tootsie Rolls to fucking kids for an hour before the matches about like, I want to have my goddamn hemorrhoids removed, right? So ended up, they called it a little bit short, I think, of time to get everybody back in the locker room. And also they figured out that the Children that the fabulous ones were inviting into their room were female kids between the ages of 18 and 30, and they were not answering the door when, <laughs> when the other kids would start knocking. And so that's the only year they did that. Stan! Hey, Steve! <laughs> Are you in there? <laughs> I Just hear you! I hear I'm you! Coming. <laughs> I'm coming! I'm <laughs> coming! <laughs> anyway, but I, you know, Halloween is also my wedding anniversary. Mine and Stacy's, the Queen of Castle Cornets, fifteen-year wedding anniversary will be Monday, as as we speak here. I don't know when you're listening to this, Halloween Day, and I have plans again. We are going out in public. We're going to do something special for the day. I'm not gonna. I'll talk about it afterwards. I'll talk about it on your show. On the drive-thru, because I can't talk about it beforehand. It does obviously involve us going out in public. There is a certain security concerns from the city. I've been notified by the traffic department of the Department of Transportation. I do tend to stop a lot of traffic, cause a lot of commotion and onlookers when I am spotted out and about. Uh, they're afraid people may be lining you know, the side of the interstate or the parade route as it is to see me go by so they can salute. So we're keeping it under wraps until after the fact, but I'll have a report on that on the drive through But happy anniversary to me and Stacy from me. Happy anniversary, Stacy, from me. She don't, she don't get to say back publicly because she doesn't have her own program. Happy anniversary, Stacy. Well, there you go. But what about me? You left me out. I'll speak to you in a few days. She may hear this closer to the anniversary. Well, she does go to sleep every night listening to us. Which, you know, I don't know why she wants to listen to us because she never wants to listen to me. But that's only when I'm not on recorded. When I'm actually live instead of Memorex. Speaking of what's live, boy, I'll tell you what. The Fulfillment Center at Cornette's Collectibles is popping with activity. And we have, at this point, uh, fulfilled or shipped or are ready to ship over 800 individual orders uh, since the big uh, action figure on sale. There's probably now, uh, I think, less than 600 to go. 
Of course, that's about still about a thousand figures because so many people got both of them, and it, it doubles the uh, time at the autograph time. But they're flying out the doors, and I'll have you folks know that within the next three weeks or so, I believe we're going to be caught up. If you have an outstanding order at Cornette's Collectibles at jimcornette.com, take heart that the Feather Bottoms are doing everything they can. But if you haven't ordered, remember there's no waiting because of not only the Feather Bottoms ultra careful handling system, but also the Feather Bottoms speedy service and sorting system. That uh, there's no waiting on the t-shirts, the autograph photos, the DVDs, behind-the-curtain graphic novels, and so much more at jimcornette.com. And do not forget, and don't trust your DVRs, folks, Tales from the Territories, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Vice TV. And this past week was Florida, and my DVR called it as a rerun and did not record it like a new show, so I'm going back to check that out at a later date. But this coming week will be Stampede Wrestling. And Bret Hart, Abdullah the Butcher, David Schultz, and I'm trying to remember who else is on that roundtable, and I'm thinking that might be the most eclectic group of personalities that you would ever see, even in a wrestling locker room. You don't often see Bret Hart, Abdullah the Butcher, and David Schultz just hanging out, exchanging ribald stories. Um, What am I doing here? Oh, as speaking of the fans, I wasn't, but I will now. The cult of Cornette. I'm trying to sort through my notes here. Sounds like you're hitting your notes. Well, I'm doing this because I can't find this. Don't you do that a lot when you can't find things? You know, when you, when you no. can't find something, it's always in the last place you look. Because how many times have you found something you were looking for and then continued to look for it? Well, what anyway. Are you, what are you looking for this week? I got the, I got it now. It's an email from Matt in Oklahoma. And I won't give his, his last, in Grove, Oklahoma, if that narrows it down for you, Matt, I won't give his last name. He's had um, a family tragedy. Uh, he wrote to say that he's had a house fire. And not only did he lose everything, and this was just this this past Friday night, I guess, or a week ago, let's say. Basically, an accidental house fire, not only did he lose everything, but also his his dogs, Weenie and Nellie. Ween was Nellie's mom, and he sent uh, pictures of them, and it'd just break your heart, but the the last thing he said was, the only positive moment I enjoyed today was listening to the intro to your podcast, so thank you, even you, Brian, and he tells everybody, love on your dogs every time you leave the house like it's the last. You never know when it will be, so, and he Matt also mentioned he lost his cult of cornet membership certificate and a couple things and i'm going to email him back and see if i can get a mailing address so we can at least replace that stuff matt if you're listening check your email if if you well you just lost your house and everything in and how are you gonna check your email we'll we'll figure this out some way or another <sighs> well i tell you apparently from what we have heard the investigation the big and boy, thankfully, the January 6th commission didn't do this 
crummy and superficial of a job. But the January uh, 6th commission was comprised of professional people seeking the truth instead of children uh, forcing a self-fulfilling prophecy on a billionaire that's in over his head. The investigation into the media scrum and the aftermath we are hearing rumors has been completed. Of course, we've already heard A. Steele has been let go from AEW because he's the only guy that could actually handle himself in a fight, apparently. Besides Punk, he's the one who did the other part of the damage. We're also hearing rumors that CM Punk is being talked to, at least, for a buyout of his, I assume, multi-million dollar contract. And there is also now a story going around that the non-compete clause may be a hang-up in those negotiations because apparently Tony wants to have his punk and eat him too. And it's funny how the whole thing has worked out to benefit the people who instigated the whole thing in the first place, our friendly EVPs over at All Friends Wrestling. So we thought we'd just talk about all of this stuff here today that's coming out or has come out or and now larry potentially larry was apparently injured by the door being flung open or flying open or whatever he either that or somebody took a shot at larry because he had to have two teeth removed at a veterinarian's appointment several days after the incident and people are now starting to shoot that story down because they haven't heard anything about it up till now. But Brian, maybe that's where we ought to start. Because when this whole thing happened, everybody was told, the people who were involved in the fights, people who were trying to break up the fight, everybody that had any knowledge of the incident or was going to be investigated or was going to be interviewed for the investigation, they were all told, don't say anything. Do not say a word. But all the stories and the leaks that we have come heard come out pretty much in an unauthorized version since then have been from the Cucamonga Kids Camp, where we hadn't heard anything from Punk's side, as some people are calling it. So I wonder why that is. Is it because maybe again, oh, I don't know, one side is not running around, running their dick liquor behind everybody's back, trying to instigate shit, going to friendly journalists and friendly news outlets that will get their side of the story out to paint them in a more sympathetic light. And one side is doing that. I just think it, it's been a little uneven. We're, we're the only ones out there in the broadcasting world that's trying to look at this from the obvious face value of it, which is that they didn't want Punk there from the start. I'm talking about the Hardly Boys and old Twinkle Toes because he exposed them. And Jericho. Well, hold on. These guys he exposed for their limited audience. He exposed them because Tony Khan was sold a bill of goods that these guys were the elite in wrestling because of the, you know, fucking overly hysterical, but unfortunately not numerous 
indie and new Japan wrestling fans in this country that were just in the bubble and just enamored of them. And he thought that he could fucking put together a national wrestling promotion on their backs. When he found out those backs weren't wide enough to carry it, he had to start bringing in stars. They got somebody that was doing numbers and they were jealous of it because not only was he doing bigger numbers than they were, but he was doing it with wrestling instead of their brand of convoluted Western swing dancing. <laughs> so those three guys, they needed punk out of there because he was exposing the whole myth of the elite as this massive, powerful force around wrestling. Jericho, think about this. Without punk, and if MJF suddenly somehow becomes a babyface, not in terms of being popular with the people, but in terms of acting like a babyface and destroys his appeal, then without Punk or without MJF, Moxley and Danielson just want to wrestle. They don't want to get in anybody's way. They just want to... Moxley wants to do his Moxley matches and his garbage stuff, and Danielson wants to be nice to everybody because he's a wonderful guy. So that means Jericho's a star if Punk's out of the way and MJF is maltreated by the booking. These guys would rather be the big fish in a fucking fish tank than one of the fish in the Atlantic Ocean. And that's what it's been. And they're the ones that ran their mouths from the start. They're the ones that were doing the campaign against Punk from the start. All the friendly journalists that had a stake in whether or not the elite were exposed as indie-rific, fucking not ready for primetime players, were more than willing to lend a sympathetic ear to their viewpoint. And it's funny how it's all worked out. The one guy that came in and got in everybody's way from having Tony's ear and or what other appendages that they have of Tony's in their pocket and being the star of the, of the, the star of our show, that one guy, boom, he's out of the way. <clears throat> and now, and, and we hear, oh, well, punk was poisonous and punk was cancerous. That's why all those people that we quoted on the podcast a few, well, it's probably been, couple months ago now when this all happened the FTRs and the Hobbses and the Starks and then Darby Allen I think everybody had great things to say about punk a lot of those people don't seem to be on the program a lot lately either maybe the EVPs felt betrayed that their brand of amateur hour dog and pony show was not being praised and instead the big star that came in and was helpful to all those guys because they were serious about their business and they praised him for it well geez they must be on his side so we got to get rid of that talent too because they'll poison our little fucking clubhouse they'll tell people that we're not as big as we think we are um, who did the investigation? Have we found that out? Did they hire? I, I mentioned at the top of the program, Inspector Clouseau. 
I wonder if, if uh, obviously Colombo was not involved in this. Maybe Leslie Nielsen, Frank Drebin, he's done some work in wrestling before. Was he heading the invest? What was the third party firm? It, was it a legal firm? Is there someone who conducts internal corporate investigations that was contacted or consulted? Certainly they didn't leave it to their legal girl, Megan, because she was actually involved in the incident. She was mega, a mega, mega. She's a megastar in that world. Yeah. So Megan was there in the room because she apparently trickled down along the, down the hallway and, and joined the EVPs when they, now a lot of people are saying they didn't bust the door down. So I don't want to give people that impression because nobody has ever said when somebody without knocking or without doing in a silent, calm manner quickly opens a door and comes in in a loud fashion. Nobody's ever said, well, they busted in the room, but she was with them because that's already been talked about. So well behind them, but yes, she was well, she was behind them, but she was with them. She wasn't trying to hold him back, apparently. So was she interviewing or being interviewed? Certainly, they didn't have the in-house legal department that was also on the scene as a witness conduct the investigation into, I guess, I don't know whether the executive vice presidents, are they her bosses or she's their boss or... No, she's their they boss. They co-bosses? Well, they, she's okay. number two in the company, according to Tony. Oh, she's number two. Well, good. Well, then she's even doing better than Patrick McGowan in The Prisoner. See, I like to just do those references every once in a while. So, so if she was, if she's number two, then she would be investigating herself and her direct employees, as well as an independent contractor that those direct employees that she was in the group with when they got in a fight came in. So it sounds like a recusement would be in order there for something like that. Do we know that Punk was an independent contractor? Well, actually, we don't know that because now he's never made a, any mention of it publicly whatsoever, except he alluded at the scrum that I'm trying to run a business here. But then Tony Khan grouped him in just, what, a few weeks ago with a statement of people who did office work and had office positions in addition to, you know, the wrestling. So, you know, it's funny how the other three went out and got EVP tattooed across their fucking forehead as soon as they got the job. And if Punk's had it, we've never even heard him mention it. Maybe it's because it looks bad publicly when one of the wrestlers is also one of the bosses. Kind of makes it look like you're just there because of your job rather than your talent. But anyway, so who did this investigation? Was it the law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, or Trickle Down and Drip, Shyster, Flywheel, and Shyster, one of these major, you know, investigative groups? Who did the investigation? Well, we don't know, because we have heard that it was an internal investigation, then we heard it was a third-party investigation. There are people who think that the television network wanted an investigation. And again, Mega, who, based on what I believe I read from a Tony Khan interview was number two in the company 
she's involved. And there have to be questions asked about how close she is to wrestlers and how close she is to the wrestlers involved in this or anyone else who is suddenly opining openly about this. Well, but now hold on now. Maybe they didn't need to talk to her at all because she was just there and I witnessed the thing, but they didn't talk to all the people that were there and I witnessed the thing because remember A. Steele's wife, who we've now established apparently from all accounts that inside the locker room, we're not, we weren't talking about a big NBA locker room with 20 people in it. It was a private locker room inside the room before the door was flung open were CM Punk, A. Steele's wife with a cast on her leg, and Larry the dog. And they didn't talk to A. Steele's wife. That's been reported. Nobody talked to A. Steele's wife in doing any investigation. And the reason given was, well, she wasn't involved. She was, I think the quote was, a non-factor. Well, that's the same reason why after the Kennedy assassination, nobody wanted to talk to Abraham Zapruder. He didn't have a goddamn thing to do with it. I may have gone over the heads of some of the kids there, but a lot of the older folks will get it. The point is, when is the last time an investigation was done of anything and one of the direct eyewitnesses that was there from the start was a non-factor because they just saw it, but they didn't take part in it? What? Imagine what story that might be told if they were talked to. Kind of like, well, yeah, I was sitting there with a dog and suddenly these fucking nuts busted in the door in some fashion and everybody went to fighting and Punk was outnumbered and fearing for the safety of his friend's wife and his dog and himself. And then there came Megan in. That's what she would have said, and that's not what they want to hear. So we didn't talk to the one of the main witnesses. Is this why they're talking to Punk about a buyout? Because Punk said, okay, you're not interested in the real story, so just fucking give me my money and I'll be on my way. Can I be honest? If I were CM Punk or the way I'm looking at this, this is where CM Punk has them dead to rights. Because... If they're really trying to buy him out of that contract, okay, take the money and go. But if they want to non-compete, what do they have as leverage? If CM Punk wanted to sue them over all this, if there was some sort of suit over any of this, he probably has a good idea what will come out in Discovery. AEW doesn't want shit to come out in Discovery that would hurt the way people see their executives, from Mega to Omega and anyone in between. And I think. AEW doesn't really, they shouldn't play too much hardball with Punk because the last thing they want is people knowing various things and it will come out quickly. Well, because you're not just talking about things related to this case. If there's a civil suit, and by the way, civil suits also do not depend on beyond a reasonable doubt, but on a preponderance of the evidence, they would also be allowed to through discovery, be able to focus on or get details on or testimony on any improprieties or bad business, as Dusty would say, involving any of the EVPs 
before this or in the past as a history, as a precedent. Oh, yeah. You get your yeah. lawyer to contact them and say, make sure you don't delete any emails or text messages because we're going to go through all of them. That's right. basically how that works. So, yeah. But in any way, and then, of course, a lot of people got upset when they found out that Larry was injured in that he had a couple of teeth loosened. He'd already been scheduled to go to the vet, and the vet discovered that a few days later after the incident. And that's now just coming out. And of course, since that sounds bad, because somebody hurting a dog, there was a lot of shit going on there real quick. And now they're trying to shoot holes in that and say that that's not factual. Well, yeah, just because that hurts their that hurts their fucking case they've put together very carefully. I have something here from the Wrestling Observer newsletter that just came out. The story of the dog being hit with the door had not been told to anyone that we are aware of until the story broke on October 26th, which many suggested was timed due to the Bucks and Omega returning to television. <laughs> and perhaps with the result of the investigation being what it was, an attempt to take them down when the investigation did not do so. Oh, good God. He's so dramatic, Uncle Dave. I mean, I mean let me just comment on Again, we just mentioned nobody has been hearing Punk's side. We've been talking about it, again, from what we can observe uh, empirically. But there's been no leak of, well, Punk's side says this and says that, except A. Steele, when they fired him, they said he was surprised to hear that. Because he probably figured, well, <laughs> I mean, sillily enough, he probably figured they were actually going to do a legitimate investigation. I gotta, well, be, I gotta be honest, he was going one way or another. <laughs> well, yeah. He shouldn't have been surprised. That's ridiculous. Somebody on Twitter said, A. Steele comes in, gets his first job on national TV, says fuck on TV, does a great segment, kicks the shit out of the EVPs and leaves. He's my hero. But anyway, but besides that, we haven't heard, well, Punk's side says this and that. No, the story that we heard from the start was pretty much the story, and there were multiple witnesses that. We don't hear from Punk, but we hear from, you know, blink, wink and blinking and nod over there that, thank God, they didn't have nuclear secrets during the Manhattan Project in World War II or we'd all be speaking German. These guys can't help but fucking spill their guts because they are so butthurt all the time when anybody recognizes their flaws and shortcomings. And they need their pussies pampered on a constant basis. So, anyway, now they're trying to shoot down poor Larry getting his fucking teeth knocked out. And, I, and, and he has more, correct? Because, this, again, this is not even a journalist trying to say, okay, well, this side says this and this side says that. Here's the facts, like they do on the wrestling news every morning. Yeah, by the way, this, if you want wrestling news without any opinion or spin, thewrestlingnews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast, look for Arcadia Vanguard's The Wrestling News. None of this. Yeah. And Dave uh, continues to act like a, this is a yellow journalism campaign. He's William Randolph Hearst, and he's fucking pissed off, and he's going to use the power of his newspaper to make sure that his friends are not ill thought of. Keep going. What else do you have to say? Well, a couple things here. In terms of the dog, from the Observer about the dog, 
a completely made-up story, said one person regarding the story. Punk's losing and is desperate. There was a multiple weeks-long investigation, and this was oddly not discovered? Hmm. Also, it's- Wait, 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 hold on here. Number one, Punk's desperate. Punk's desperate because he's in a bad position. He's either going to come back to work and make multi-millions of dollars, or he's going to be given multi-millions of dollars not to come back to work. Goddamn, I'd be almost suicidal. Secondly, a weeks-long investigation and we've heard nothing about... Maybe you should have asked the other person that was in the room. Also, it so happened to be mentioned the moment there was news about the elite possibly coming back. It's insane that people would even humor this. (laughs) The dog story is a complete lie, said a neutral party who was in the locker room seconds after the incident occurred. Seconds. When the altercation was happening, Punk was a total psycho. Kenny picked up the dog to save wait, him. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You mean, you mean he was a, a guy in an actual real fight instead of one of these fucking fruitcakes fucking skipping around doing round-offs and cartwheels? No, they meant he was wearing his mother's clothes and stabbing people in the shower, but let me get back oh, to the okay. quote here. Kenny picked up the dog to save him from being hurt oh, and boy. gave him to Mega. Oh, boy. Mega was holding the dog, screaming at Punk to stop. Punk didn't even register that his, quote, baby was being held by a stranger in the middle of a fight. It didn't stop him one bit. Oh, okay, because I'm, I'm down on the floor in a fight with a fucking guy, and there's chairs being thrown and all this other shit's going on, but when some girl is screaming, stop, stop, I instantly am aware that, well, the dog is in trouble. Some girl that already hates you and already has chosen a side. <laughs> some girl who's already friends with everyone who hates you. The, the, the whole now, thing is slanted. So again, so again, now the, the she was there on the scene to be, you know, to be handed the dog or whatever she's got in her hand that the boys are handing her these days. I, Hold on, let's take a step back now because we kind of painted the picture weeks ago based on everything we had, and the wrestling news had information that wasn't out there that we broke, and we still have information that hasn't broke that we know about. But what we could say is. Punk's in the locker room with his dog, with A. Steele's wife, and into the room come all these people. The Young Bucks, Omega, Mega, Christopher Daniels, Cutler, Nakazawa. All of these people. Pat Buck got suspended too, didn't he? Pat Buck, I don't think he was in there for the initial uh, bunch of people that went in there. Just like A. Steele wasn't in there for the initial bunch of people that weren't in there. Guess who else wasn't there, by the way, everyone? Chris Jericho. I just want to point that out because you've seen yeah. a lot of things now. There was someone hiding, trying not to get involved until it was time to give a speech and look good. And his name was Chris Jericho. <laughs> and then he comes in now. Hey, you. Hey, everyone. Let me be the hero here. I'll make sure yeah. this gets out to the observer. Tony, it wouldn't have happened if I was around. All these people came in the room. Is the idea, you know what? I can't believe what Phil just said in that scrum. I'm going to give him a talking to. Come with me. Let's all go there and just stand above him and lecture him. Like, what is, if it all had worked out perfectly and there were no punches thrown and no bites and no dog teeth on the ground or whatever the hell's going on, what was the best case scenario? We're going to go in there and we're going to all confront him, all of us friends who have been here since the beginning, skipping along together. What was the best case scenario? I mean, I'm asking you a serious question. What was the best case scenario here? 
I have no idea. I have no idea how they thought that would work because for one thing, and, and it's something I think we mentioned it a while back, but punk tore what a tricep, bicep, some type of muscle. I saw it reported as tricep. Whatever the fuck it may be. So now he's sitting in it. And we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. That's probably why he was like, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say some fucking things need to be aired out in public because I'm, I might be back on the shelf for a while, but he's sitting there and he's hurt and he's wore out and he's pissed off. So let's now that he said that and is clearly ready, if they have a problem with it, Instead of, again, let's wait for Tony Khan to finish his media fantasy and bring all the rest of his action figures back to the locker room and go to Tony and say, what are you going to do about this? But instead, the three main people that he's pissed at, two of their stooges, another couple of miscellaneous locker room AEW personnel, and Megan all rush in at the at the same time and I would assume we're not saying excuse Phil could we talk for a minute you think there wasn't probably something like hey what the fuck are you talking about back there and then boom goes the dynamite so I don't know what they think again when it when it happened I was okay you don't go the guys asked you to come if you got a problem, come see me. You don't go unless you got a problem. And if you got a problem and show up, just because you're the one that gets fucking knocked out first is, is not the other guy's fault. You showed up. It was a specific You invitation. don't show up if you're an executive. I mean, let's go back to that. Well, yeah. I don't care. Was... He called us out. Hey, if you're on the street, go fucking deal with it. You're an executive, and you're actually in your office. I'm just telling you, that would be the first impression that one would get if one had made an offer like that, that when here comes everybody, well, not only are they going to fucking take me up on it, but they all want to go at the same time. You know, the other thing, a lot of people have brought it up, so I think it is worth saying. CM Punk very openly on TV would wear shirts to support women's rights and various things. He is the only one out of all of them. I don't want to make this a political thing, but he is certainly a different thinker than the Young Bucks camp and the Jericho family. Oh, yeah. And he was a different presence in the locker room. And there are people who think of AEW as just a place for you and your like-minded friends to play your games. But sometimes people don't want to play your games. It doesn't mean that they're going to ask for your game to be fired. They're just going to make their game better. But we've seen, well, you, you we've seen see. throughout history with the Young Bucks, we've seen who the insecure people are who constantly have to get their side of the story out there. I've personally witnessed the way they've lied about you publicly and things you've yeah. said or done. So, I mean... CM Punk. Right, but and they always do it in in the way that well obviously so and so wants to be involved with us but they're so whatever the fuck or obviously so and so is jealous of all of our success or what it, it's they still they're so warped they have to frame themselves in their own minds somehow as this pinnacle of achievement for people to be able to 
associate with and, and deal with them and interact with them. But again, from the start, we saw what it was going to be like. You talked about like-minded, whether it's politics or wrestling or anything. That's right. That's why business. I said it wasn't just about politics, but well, it just yes. so happens with these guys. But you yes, have to but, be like-minded. business-wise, business-wise, Punk comes in. You didn't see him interact with Pockets. That was obviously because why? Why would you spend all that money on a real star and then fucking, you know, do that? You didn't see him interacting with the trampoline cowboy crowd. You saw him working with the young guys that he thought he could either elevate or teach something to or make something, you know, some advancement in their career. And the, the again, the Hobbses and the Darby Allens and the MJFs and the blah, blah, blah. And he didn't fuck with the people who weren't serious and were hopeless in, 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 in their spots. And that's all the friends of the EVPs. And let's, while Punk came in and drew million dollar gates and record pay-per-view buy rates no and, it was adam cole and adam page and everyone oh, knows Lord. it and ratings etc by whatever metric that you want to use meanwhile when the uh, and and also tried to advance people and was praised for it by those people what do you hear from the evps that are supposed to have a vested interest in this business well they're the the uh california raisins they wouldn't put FTR over for the belts when it meant something for them to have all four of those belts because the ones they have, the three they have now are absolutely meaningless in the United States of America. They, the three belts they have would have meant something if they had the AEW belts because that's the company that they're on and the show they're on. And they had the chance to do something right for business there when FTR was so hot and the people were tearing the house down for them. But instead... They bring back Twinkle Toes from his hiatus, which wasn't nearly long enough, and they scratch all those plans so that they can have the six-man belts and they can play with their friends. And they work it in such a way that FTR isn't just, like, obviously jobbed out and beaten. They just disappear, and they're just marginalized. And they're just allowed to float around. And where do you see them? Most of the time you don't. And we'll put the belts on some mid-card team because that's not like everybody knows they're not as good as we are. We just won't put the one team that the fans were starting to think is better than us over. That's the kind of example of the professionalism of those guys. Then you've got old Twinkle Toes. I don't really think he knows enough. I don't think he's smart enough to do what Jericho does and manipulate backstage and bury people that are a threat to him and or put them over and kill them with kindness and ask for their shit to be changed so they won't be a threat to him because Twinkle Toes doesn't know how to do that. He's an idiot. What he does is he just sabotages the company with the women's division which is a complete joke and has been from day one because he cannot put his personal feelings aside and recognize that not everybody is a complete fucking weirdo mentally like he is and wants to see on their television. Nobody wants to see her wrestle and nobody wants to, as 
Dusty Rhodes might say, make sweet love to her. Either one. So what the fuck? That's the kind of professionalism you get from these guys. If you're a friend, you're fine. If you're a talent, you're fucked. So now everything, as I said, has worked out so well for everybody except Tony Khan, whose business continues to suffer. The EVPs got rid of the threat that they had that exposed them already, but Tony ain't realized it. Jericho's cleared the way for the canned ham to be the most prized product in the whole store. Yeah, and the other thing is Tony... Mega has Tony's ear on a lot of the non-wrestling issues, and Jericho has Tony's ear on way too many of the wrestling issues, but Jericho also has Mega's ear. So Tony's kind of getting tag-teamed. And what does Mega have of Jericho's? I don't know about that, but but basically Tony's not necessarily, I would think, being advised uh, from a good impartial party. Well, when you're, you know, when you're grabbing people by the ear or the nose or throat or any other appendage, and getting in there with your thoughts, sometimes they register on weak-minded people. Should Tony have called their bluff if the Bucks and Omega... Let's just start with them. Jericho could be a separate one. Because, you know, Dave's reporting top guys don't want to work with CM Punk. And it was previously reported that the Young Bucks did not feel safe or did not but, want to work there. If Punk was there, they were even thinking about reaching out to Triple H. Oh, good God. Oh, good God. We don't feel safe. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. We don't feel safe if Punk is around. He may come and whoop us again. You fucking pussies. Hey, let me take that the other way. The idea that people are jumping on Punk because one of the stories that came out, I believe in Nick Houseman of Wrestling Inc.'s uh, reporting, he reached out to the Punk camp, that Punk didn't feel safe in the ring with Adam Page after Adam Page went into business for himself during that promo. I can believe that. Some people are looking at that and saying, oh, what a pussy punk. He's a tough guy until this, not realizing. He's not saying he wouldn't have won the fight. He's saying that's not what you're supposed to do out there on pay-per-view. Well, no, and and besides that, but hold on a second. Hold on a second. There's completely different fucking trust factor involved. When you're working with somebody and you're laying there and they're on the top rope and they're going to jump, oh, golly, I was just that far off. That could be a fucking story. Do you want to lay there and trust that guy when you've already had words with him because he's already gone into business for himself and he obviously doesn't like you because he's goddamn enamored of one of your enemies and they apparently play pocket pool together or whatever the case. That's different. Match trust is different than, oh, I don't want to go back to work and be in the locker room and be in the same building with Punk because he might come and find me and track me down and kick the shit out of me again. What's but Don't run your goddamn pie hole and it won't happen again. But is anybody really going to fucking make the case that Punk is going to, if the Bucks and Punk are in the same arena, that Punk is going to, well, I didn't get enough last time. I'm going to go over there and kick the shit out of him again. No. But there's a lot different trust that has to go into a match. And the margin of error is nil for a lot of shit that's done to begin with. And how are you going to disprove a guy if he says it was an accident? At the same time, he's made his point. That's the kind of trust that Paige threw out the window. So, again, these fucking amateurs, 
and or the fucking Twitter crowd that's never been in a goddamn ring and don't even understand how this shit's constructed, and the ones that they've listened to for what they have learned is the goddamn self-trained contingent of trampoline cowboys that don't know how the wrestling business is supposed to work to begin with either. So they get their information from people who've made it up. Fuck. Anyway, I hope that Punk doesn't know any connected guys in Chicago up there in the land of Al Capone, or some of these people might be sleeping with the fishes. What do you think, Brian? I don't think anything about that. Have you ever thought about sleeping with the fishes? Nope, never once. It's not pleasant. I'll tell you what. It stinks, and it's <laughs> slimy, and it's very cold. Well, no, the expression means and you'd it, be dead, not that you'd actually it, well, be physically it, it, sleeping it, with Occasionally, fish. you get finned. You get finned by them fish when you're sleeping next to them. And that'll change your mood in a hurry to get finned by a fish. But I'll tell you, folks, our friends at Helix Sleep, they'll make sure you're not sleeping with the fishes. They will make sure, folks, that you are sleeping in a cloud of comfort, of relaxation. You'll be floating, weightless, unable to control your bodily functions. You'll lose track of time and space. Well, this is not getting, it's getting less pleasant, not more pleasant. I don't know if you realize that. Well, no, if you really want to relax, you know, if you really fully relax, first thing you're going to do is fill your britches up. But folks, again, hey, they oh, make, huh? I don't know why you make me think these things, but because you do, I'm going to ask. If you were floating in space uh -huh. and somehow you could breathe, would you go to the bathroom? Would you just let it go into space? I wouldn't go to the bathroom. There'd be no bathroom in space. Would you relieve yourself? Would you empty your bowels into space? Well, only if I was naked. But if I was naked, what would I be doing in space naked? I'd have to have a space suit on because I'm in space. Well, then you've just shit in your drawers. Well, no one knows what the future holds. Could you be naked with a hel just like a helmet with breathing apparatus on, and then you could be naked as a jaybird, just letting it all hang out there like you were the day you were born? And then because you're weightless, that means the the various bodily fluids and substances would be weightless also. So if you fired off a chocolate rocket, it would just float slowly upward, right? I guess that would be weightless. And there's also, of course, no weight for Helix Sleep and their fine mattresses. That's right. You don't have to wait a single minute. All you've got to do is jump on helixsleep.com. And take that sleep quiz, because, folks, that's what they do. You don't want to go to the store and get a mattress, because, as I've mentioned, I always have a problem. Every time one of the salesmen tells me I can take a nap on it, 20, 30 minutes later, I wake up, son of a bitch is curled right up next to me, and he's hogging the covers. You never know what might go on there or what has gone on. Well, I can assure you that most of the mattresses that Helix Sleep delivers, it's a first. you're going to be the first person on it. I'd say at least 80-90%. 100% of the time, you will be the first person on your brand new Helix Sleep mattress. Well, sometimes they got the money-back guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, even if it's just you being a fucking asshole, well, then they'll they'll give you the money back and, and sell it to somebody else. No, they will give you your money back and someone else will get a brand new Helix Sleep mattress. You mean to tell me if they give you your money back on one of these mattresses, they don't turn around and sell it to somebody else? They just eat that whole cost? What? How do they stay in business? Apparently, nobody asks for their money back on these things. 
Apparently they're just, they're perfect as they are and nobody asked for their money back because they'd give it to them. And fuck, if that happened often, well, they'd be out of business. And then a perfectly good mattress that's only been oh, slept on for a hundred nights. That's the risk-free time. You can try it out for a hundred nights. You've only slept on it for a hundred nights. Depending on who you are, that means you've fornicated on it, what, anywhere from two to 50, just depending on who you are. Why does, your, why does your mind go there? Well, what else are you going to do on a mattress besides it's It's like the hotel, you know, that ought to have the sign out. Sleep, fuck, sleep, fuck, sleep and fuck. Because what else are you going to do? A mattress. You're going to sleep, you're going to fuck. And apparently every once in a while, you know, the kids in Cucamonga will practice wrestling moves on them, but we don't recommend that. You could hurt your mattress. It's such a unique idea. It's going to be the next Marriott chain. Marriott sleep and fuck. Marriott sleep and fuck. And they'll have Helix sleep mattresses in them, folks, because again, everybody's unique. Everybody is shaped differently and everybody sleeps differently. And that's why the mattresses that Helix Sleep sells you, they're mostly shaped the same. They don't really make the mattress shaped like you. It's big enough for you to be on, but it's unique in that everyone sleeps differently. So they got different mattress models to choose from, depending on what position you like to sleep in and whether you like soft or hard. A lot of people in bed, they like hard. That's up to them. And sometimes, you know, if you want, let's say you want to sleep standing on your head with your ass leaned up against the bedroom wall. Now, that may be odd, but Helix will probably have a mattress for it. You got to go to helixsleep.com, take the quiz, takes like two minutes, and then they will recommend the best mattress they make for you. And then they send it right to your door. And you could even carry it to wherever you want. It's in a box. It's amazing. And once you, Cut the box open, it just kind of, it doesn't spring to life, it blossoms to life. It's not going to put your eye out or anything, unless you, you know, don't bend over too close. It's not going to put your eye out or anything. Let's just stop with that. Well, let's stop with that. That's a true statement. You know, sometimes like those canned biscuits that you get, when it says press the spoon next to the seam and it just pops and it scares you to death and sometimes... You know, people have been killed by shrapnel from those biscuits. Canned biscuits? Canned bi- you, you, Don't you ever eat canned biscuits? I don't even know what you're talking about. No. The Pillsbury canned biscuits. The biscuits that you a- bake in, in the oven? Yes, they come in a can. You pop the can right. open. It's very, it's a violent opening. I've never heard anyone call it they're under pressure. I've never heard anyone call it the canned biscuits. The canned biscuits. Well, a, a Helix mattress <laughs> is under pressure. <laughs> so you got to open it again and just allow a little room but nevertheless you you won't feel any pressure on a helix sleep mattress because it it will it will send you into a medically induced coma like sleep that you will wake up from most of the time chances are it will send you into a very normal relaxing sleep which you will wake up from Yes, the, preponder- the preponderance of evidence indicates that most of you will wake up feeling refreshed. But you don't want to take my word for it. They've been awarded the number one mattress pick by GQ and Wired Magazine. I didn't know that GQ and Wired Magazine joined forces. No, is that they, for, they're two separate entities. Two is separate. that for cocaine addicts that dress well, GQ and Wired? 
I don't know if the Cokeheads read GQ anymore. It's even recommended, folks, by multiple leading chiropodists and doctors of sleep medicine. Chiropractors. Chiropractors. They're one of those medical professions. And uh, uh, once again, a guarantee, risk-free, and a 10- to 15-year warranty. So you got that. I don't know if it's transferable. If you're over 60, well, a 10- or 15-year warranty might not be a a big deal for you because you know you're probably not going to see most of that. But if you're a young person, this could be a big deal. So again, right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's right. When you're sleeping with the fishes, you don't want to put your head on something hard. You want to have a nice pillow there just for the halibut. Go to helixsleep.com slash JCE, up to $200 off mattress orders and two free pillows. With Helix, better sleep starts now, and the rest of your life starts tomorrow, and a journey starts with but a single step. And start me up, start me up. You better start me up. Well, it is your show. You start yourself up. I couldn't remember the rest. What was the next line? Um, if you start me up, you start me up. I'll never stop. That's what it is. Well, there's heat on the country of Saudi Arabia, Brian. This is where the WWE is going to invade the country of Saudi Arabia this weekend with Crown Jewel, the latest in their series of PLEs. I thought it was actually the PLO, considering the part of the country that they were part of the world they were going to but it's the ple the premium live event can't call them pay-per-view anymore because nobody pays and few people view but their premium live events the crown jewel over there with prince muhammad bin sullivan and all the rest of the gang and who is it recently was it the federal government or who's been calling for American companies recently to stop doing business with Saudi Arabia because of the, I don't know, pesky thing about murdering journalists and stuff? It's been pretty much everyone across the board, except for multinational entertainment corporations that are looking for cash. Well, I saw, and I actually saw on the news this past week that there's been a, a stronger request made, I think, on behalf of... Uh, the official United States for people not to fucking associate with these people anymore or this regime or administration or whatever. And I mean, it's not like that people already haven't had that sentiment, but as things go on, is this, is it like, who was it? Was it Betty Davis, the old star, the old like anybody doesn't know who Betty Davis is, but when the she was old a star, star it, Betty Davis here at the premiere. the old star, yes, and the Joe Franklin show. She's I've been a fan for many years, but she in the forties in Hollywood, a friend of hers, another one of the female stars, said that her husband was messing around on her, but she just couldn't bear to leave him. And Betty Davis said, "Well, is the fucking you're getting worth the fucking you're getting?" And I've even for what is it? Have, have they said fifty million dollars a show, and they do two a year? We're talking about a company; it's worth five billion dollars, five billion dollars 
what would that be? A hundred million, let's say 10, a, a 50th of their worth. Now, if I can do math in my head, that would be like me spending, what, 80 grand? I don't know. Is it worth it for a significant portion of the population to look at the WWE when they're trying to revamp their image as money-grubbing corporate heathens associating with goddamn murderers and and the enemy. I like when usually on these shows, like midway through it, Michael Cole all of a sudden does like a PSA for Saudi Arabian tourism. <laughs> Come for the weather, stay for the beheadings. How, who wants to go to Saudi Arabia as a fucking tourist? Who would want to go to Saudi Arabia on purpose? I I understand some of the, I'm sure none of the talent is ever said, oh boy, I can't wait. Have you got my tickets? Can I go in a day early? Nobody's ever said that. I understand a lot of men are in a predicament. The, the guys that don't have the pull, the gravitas on the roster, the cachet in the industry, the wherewithal through name recognition to say, fuck you, I ain't going to Saudi Arabia. I understand those guys having to put up with it. They don't want to lose their job or get knocked down the roster. I honestly, a lot of people will say, well, the big names, you know, when they get Goldberg or they get this guy or that guy, they get a million dollars. Any wrestler in the business today that gets a million-dollar payoff to go to Saudi Arabia already has a number of millions of dollars in their bank account, or they wouldn't be being offered a million dollars to do anything. And so I don't know if I already had $7 million or $10 million that to make 8 or $11 million that I'd go to Saudi fucking Arabia. And... Do they actually think that people are just going to drop what they're doing because they see a wrestling show, not even in the days of Bruno and Rocca, when people worship the, you know, the wrestling matches, they're going to drop everything and say, well, instead of going to Gatlinburg this year, I'm going to fucking go to Saudi Arabia. I can't wait. Boy, it looks so wonderful with the camels and the sand and the armed fucking militias. Who's going to go to Saudi Arabia because they do a wrestling show there? How is that promoting tourism? You can, you can, you can watch the news, especially if you're a woman. If you're a woman, you don't want to show your face in Saudi Arabia because you're not allowed to. It's an attempt by the current regime in Saudi Arabia to make their country more appealing to other countries throughout the world. They're trying to present themselves as a progressive new Saudi Arabia, where, you know, beheadings are only done on Wednesdays now. <laughs> no, I don't know what the rules would be, but it is a concerted, long-term effort to try to legitimize Saudi Arabia with the Western world. So propaganda is what you're saying. It's, yeah, actually, I guess that is exactly what I'm saying, yeah. So what you're saying is that the Saudi Arabian government, guilty of human rights violations and mistreatment of women, and who knows what all's going on over there, as I've heard some people say. Now, one of the biggest entertainment companies in the United States of America is helping them, not only helping them disseminate their false and misleading propaganda, 
but is actually sending celebrities and stars to participate in it for the almighty dollar. That's what you're saying. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we were straight. Okay. You know, all right. But, and here's, this is another thing. Can you think about in the territory days, this would not have been an issue. And you know why? Because first off, because it wouldn't have happened. Because Enoki would have been doing the stadium show in Saudi Arabia. Because there was no worldwide wrestling promotion, and people wouldn't have known who goddamn the wrestlers were from the WWF in Saudi Arabia. And Enoki, because he always got these deals, you know, with his passing a few weeks ago, he did stadium shows in Pakistan and India and everywhere, or the old Jim Londos deal where you get a countryman that's massively over around the world and he goes back to Greece and does 100,000 people, or Adnan Casey in Iraq, or Kentaro Oki in, uh, in Korea. You know, that would have happened there, and nobody would have even known in this country there was a wrestling show taking place at a stadium in Saudi Arabia, and nobody would have given a shit because... The only Americans that would have been involved were American wrestlers that somehow through Inoki or Adnan Casey or whoever was Otto Vons or whoever was putting it together in whatever part of the world might book them individually. But uh, there was, <laughs> when I was in TNA in like 2006, I think it was, that was, yeah, because that was the first year they went to the United Kingdom, right? I remember TNA that year. They set their all-time attendance record. They had like five or 6,000 people for a house show, which they'd never done before. It was in, in England, right? Somewhere in the UK. And before the tour, I was talking to Jackie Moore, Miss Texas, Miss Jacqueline. And I said, Jackie, I said, did you ever think that we would see the day that we'd fuck the business up in this country so bad we'd have to go to England, draw 5,000 people? And she shook her head and she said, no, nah, I never did. I said, I've got faith, though. And she said, what? You think it's going to come back? I said, no, I think we're going to fuck England up, too. What's the card for the crown jewel, O'Brien? Only five matches listed. I don't know if that means a match or two will be added. Wait, does that mean we get time off for good behavior? <laughs> it feels Try like to that. Watch this fucking thing. Okay, the people... They were made to go to the stadium anyway, probably at gunpoint. They didn't have to buy the tickets. Just go show up, make it look good. We'll let you out early. Is that what they're going for this time? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that at all. But here are the matches that have been listed. Braun Strowman versus Omos with MVP. You know, Saudi Arabia is probably the best place to do and no, no, No pun and no joke and no shit. If you go back through wrestling history, a big show in a foreign country, I'm talking foreign to the United States. If you're in Saudi Arabia right now, I'm sorry, but a big show in a foreign market, two giants, the people are just thrilled to see live wrestling, thrilled to see the stars in person, whether it's the first time or one of the few times that ever happens in that part of the world and they get two giants, and it looks great on a poster or whatever, and it's going to be hopefully short, not necessarily sweet. Um, 
they'll be there for a good time, but not for a long time. But that's in, in a domestic audience would shit all over this because they see wrestling on a regular basis and it's going to be rotten because how can it not be? I mean, even if almost was in there with, you know, some talented worker, we we've seen a couple of those, right? And it's Brown Strongman. So, but the Saudi Arabia fans will probably get a kick out of it because visually, you remember like Inoki's Japanese stadium shows, they'd have the freak show matches with the big tall guy or the big fat guy or the big whatever. They'll like it over there. We won't like it here. And hopefully it'll be kept mercifully brief. And even if they've planned for it to be an ongoing program, maybe they'll see the match, the WWE officials I'm talking about, and, and decide maybe we should never, ever do this again. In a steel cage match, Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross with Scarlett. Um, oh boy, if the, the opening match is almost in Brown Strowman and there's only five matches, uh, are we calling Logan Paul and Roman Reigns an hour Broadway? Cross and McIntyre, they're going to put some time in. A cage match listed second. We don't know what order they're going to go in, but it's not going to go on last. You know, uh, we've been trying to like Karrion Cross and Scarlett. They look great. Got a great entrance. Um, some of the special effects haven't worked. The fireball or whatever, but it's not gonna. This is not gonna be bad. I'm just wondering is is Cross going where they're wanting him to go, or is it taking him more time to get there, or whatever, or is he ever gonna get there? I'm not really sure what they're doing with Carrying Cross. I'm not sure if people are really taking to him and Scarlet or not. Have they done anything in the last few weeks since they? Well, they had the car thing in the first segment of the show. Were they on last week's SmackDown? Uh, yeah, maybe that's the problem. We don't remember. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It it won't, it won't be horrible. We'll see. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, here's an intriguing one. I wish this wasn't taking place in Saudi Arabia. Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. Who, that one. You know, here's the thing. They just... They suddenly had Brock reappear and switch heel out of nowhere and just beat the shit out of Bobby Lashley, the babyface, and the people cheered madly while he did it. So, unfortunately, I think they're probably going to cheer Brock, you know, against Lashley, even though it's supposed to be set up to be exactly the opposite because the fans don't boo heels or cheer babyfaces anymore. They just cheer shit that goes on in front of them. So Bobby was a stronger heel and also could take care of himself better as a heel with the manager and the group because he's not an over-the-top personality. And, you know, so they're going to they're gonna gravitate to Lesnar because he's a fucking freak of various natures. So anyway... Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it from an athletic standpoint, but I think it'll probably accomplish exactly the opposite of what they apparently want, which was Brock to turn heel on Lashley. The next match listed here, Jim, in six-man tag team action, the OC, comprised of AJ Styles, <sighs> Luke Gallows, and Carl Anderson, 
versus The Judgment Day, comprised of Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley. You know, and that's, by the way, we're not talking about Raw this week from last Monday because I read the recap the day after, and to spend three hours fast-forwarding through a television program to watch Rhea Ripley body slam Luke Gallows is probably not worth it. Having said that, you know, we want to love the Judgment Day. They've got, the, the you know, their version of Butch, the annoying little urchin Finn in there, but rest of them look great. Uh, Dominic looks better than he ever has as the, I mean, dressed up like they've got him now and with Rhea Ripley whispering in his ear and he looks a little meaner and a little older. He doesn't look like the kid running down the street trying to catch the ice cream truck like he did with Ray as a babyface. And then there's, you know, the OC, the, the original club. Um, it's the lamest I haven't, I haven't been as bad on Gallows and Anderson if you ha- as you have, because I've said, especially Anderson in the past, Gallows is big, but they've just, they were overtaken by the silliness. You would think those two guys wouldn't pal around with, associate with, have the same mindset as all the rest of the silly bullet club denizens, but uh, I'm interested in the Judgment Day without Finn Balor. I don't know that I'm interested in this match. I'm sure it'll be quite exciting and not move the needle for business one whit in any direction. And finally, Jim, for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defends the championship against Logan Paul. And, you know, this is, it's going to be good. Logan Paul takes this seriously, and he's a very prideful person. He's been training. We saw him do way better before than what he ought to have for, you know, his level of inexperience. They're not going to switch the belt, but they've given Saudi Arabia for their $50 million a big main event with somebody they can say, and truthfully so, is a big American celebrity. And so it's like they they gave away, in its own way, it's kind of a freak show match in terms of a celebrity from YouTube who's dabbled in other sports now is in wrestling, but he can compete at a high level because he's an athlete, but it doesn't have to sell tickets because nobody thinks he's going to win. They've tried to create the the doubt, well, if I get one good shot, well, and you know, but he's not, but at least they're trying to create the doubt and it would be a massive PR backlash and booking malfeasance for Logan Paul to beat Roman Reigns, but for a main event on a pay-per-view, they don't have to sell pay-per-views and a live event. They don't have to sell tickets to it's genius to do this. Well, we'll see if it's genius to watch this, those five (laughs) matches, the only matches listed for this weekend's crown jewel, which we will review on, uh, I guess, the drive-through. They're probably going to have to do. It depends on on which of the other wrestlers are allowed to escape from the hostage situation this time around. If the militia lets the rest of the locker room go, they'll have another match or two. And also, apparently, just for those keeping track, NXT did Halloween Havoc, but this year it wasn't a TV special. It was its own standalone 
PPV, PLE, whatever the case. And you and I both found out about it after the fact, but I, I read the recap, multiple furniture matches, and Braun Breaker was in a three-way against two nobody. So uh, nothing there. But I'd I'd love to check in with Braun Breaker sometime again. We haven't seen him in months because he hasn't had a single match against anybody except people in NXT and few of those. And I would love to see him against any top guy right now, one-on-one, just to see how he's doing. It doesn't even have to, I'm not talking about a, a main roster main event guy that he would have to do a job for. It's too early for that. I'm talking about a, like the Dolph Ziggler and the Robert Roode stuff they did before, a top guy who can work and knows what he's doing that comes in one-on-one to work with Braun. I'd love to see that. But so far, we have not, we haven't seen that in a while. What do you think, Brian? Are you looking forward to the big crown jewel? Yeah, I don't think anyone's looking forward to a show. It's a Saturday afternoon. It's the middle of the day. It has a weird energy because it's over there in the other part of the world. And there's propaganda segments in the middle of the show. I don't know. I'd be a little more excited about it if it was a Saturday night show with Lashley and, La- uh, what's his name? <laughs> Lashley and what's his name? <laughs> Lashley and Lesnar. But uh, I mean, these Saudi Arabian shows, I'm not a hardcore WWE fan. If I was, maybe I'd be excited about it, but. They feel like big events in that they get big names, but do big things ever really happen or come out of them? I don't know. Well, you know what the thing is? Maybe they need to beef themselves up a little bit. Maybe they need to get bigger and stronger. Maybe, as Mama Cornette used to say, they need to eat some more meat and potatoes. That's whatever she'd say to me whenever I'd get all upset. and She'd say, before you mess with me or before you mess with him or before you mess with somebody, you better eat plenty more of your meat and potatoes. Build up those muscles. Make sure you got some weight back there behind you that's that's motivating you. And you know what? how you can do that easy now, Brian? How you can eat more meat and potatoes if you want them or more vegan stuff if you don't want the meat or more veggie stuff? Vegan stuff and veggie stuff, yes. Is, is, what, is a potato a, is a potato's a vegetable? What's a tomato? Is a tomato a fruit or a vegetable? I believe technically it's a fruit. Well, then you can have fruits too. You can have all kinds of things. Fruits, vegetables, apple, mustard, pork chops, Tuscan tomato chicken, three bean, vegan chili. You can have all that. You can have that too. You can have all of it through our friends at Factor. Now you got to factor this in, folks. You factor in. See, we're going to do some Steiner math. You factor in. All the time that you spend working every day, providing for your family, fulfilling your job, your employment. Then you factor in sleep. You got to sleep so you can get up the next day and do it all over again. Then you factor in some people from rumors that I've heard have children and they take time. Can you verify that, Mr. Last? Can I verify what? That children take time. They take time out of your busy schedule. I would hate to look at it that way, but certainly you want to spend time with your kids and you want to give They're them time the time consuming, they need. They're time-consuming little organisms. In and a by the te- technical by the, point of view, sure. Yes, by the time you finish your working and sleeping and conducting the children in whatever fashion they need to be shepherded through life, 
Well, then you got no time for your seat. You forgot about you. Well, that's where the folks at Factor come right into play because they've got ready-to-eat meal delivery straight to your door. That makes it easy. You can prepare this stuff in a couple of minutes. You put it in the microwave. A few more minutes, you put it in the oven. It's chef-crafted and nutritionist-designed. So you got your, your main course. You got your sides. They've also got stuff to go along with it, add-on options, smoothies, juices, snacks, and you can eat any kind of diet. If you're on the keto-friendly thing, if you want to be friendly to keto, if you want to fall in love and marry keto, they've got it at Factor. They got everything, and they're flexible. They're practically contortionist. You can change your order up every week. They can give you plans from 4 to 18 meals a week. Now, if you're only eating four meals a week, I'm not a nutritionist, but I would suggest eat more meals. And you can pause and reschedule the deliveries anytime. Let's say, for example, you're not going to be at whatever roadside shack or broom closet that you have told them to deliver your food at six o'clock on Tuesday. You're not going to be there. You can pause it. If you're going to be under a bridge somewhere with no particular street address, you can have them bring it back to your broom closet the following week. And Protein Plus, they've got that. They've got Keto, Calorie Smart, Vegan and Veggie, Protein Plus, all kinds of meals, and they save you time, and they're packed with restaurant-quality flavor. So anyway, folks, right now, if you are tantalized, if your taste buds are shivering, and you're ready to go and jump on this right now, all you got to do to eat healthy, eat good, and eat quick, and have it delivered to your door without taking all the muss and the fuss of preparing everything, all you got to do is head to, and write this down, go.factor75.com slash jce60. Yes, that's go, G-O.factor75 dot com slash jce60 and use the code jce60 to get 60 percent off your first box of factor jce60 for 60 percent off at go.factor75.com you'll eat good you'll you'll look like a greek god when you eat all these nutritious healthy meals you don't need to exercise I wouldn't even bother to get out of bed in the morning. Just eat a no. bunch of this stuff and you'll look like Atlas. You should still get out of bed. You will not look like Atlas, especially if you do not work out. But you should eat healthy. Well, if Atlas, does, if Atlas doesn't work out, we'll replace him with somebody that will work out. Some Sooner or later, this will all work out. But in the meantime, you want to look great. Just eat this food. Do nothing. As a matter of fact, eat this food. Drink heavily. Smoke four packs a day. It doesn't matter. This food is so It healthy. matters. Don't do any of those things, but eat healthy. And, and also take plenty of personal risks. Just go out and throw caution to the winds because you're going to oh, feel you're great. Full you're full of it. You hate Darby Allen and listen to what you're saying here. Jump over your own house, just like Darby Allen. The factor is going <laughs> to rev you up, boy. You're, you're going to be out there. You're going to be just going crazy. Enjoy a nice, normal day, but... Enjoy it knowing that you've ingested healthy chef-crafted food with Factor. Yes, because the chef-crafted food... Crafted. Chef-crafted food that Factor prepares 
is crafted like no other chef can craft. They're very crafty people over at Factor. If you could see how this chef would craft, you can craft. I'm trying to do your stupid thing and I can't even do it. Well, why don't you do your stupid thing? What in the world is going on in the world of the Arcadian Vanguard Network this week? Lots of stupid things happening this week. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few not stupid notes. The Wrestling News at TheWrestlingNews.com or, of course, available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts for free. Daily Wrestling Newscast. Minus the opinion, minus the conjecture, there will be no star ratings, just actual wrestling news. Once again, wherever you find your favorite podcast, thewrestlingnews.com, we have a lot of very exciting things we're working on. Stay tuned, it's going to be an interesting next few years, and you can hear all about it on wait a the minute. Wrestling we news. Gotta, we got to wait that long to find that next few years? I might not have that long. Oh, you got a while to go. You got to do something for me in the next six weeks. Six weeks? Well, just to be safe. We're going to do something for you. We're going to buy all those action figures and drive you crazy. But of course, let's talk about some of the other shows this week on Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. John and Jamie Ward talk about 1983 WWF, Jimmy Snooker, Bob Macklin, the return of the Samoans, and so much more. Hear that today at McAdamPod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course... The 605 Super Podcast. The Membership! Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mothership. The Mothership. Well, let's hop on the ship that's slowly sinking. Tony Khan needs a plug in his hole. Because he's taking on water. This past Wednesday night, they did that thing they do every week. They did it again. I don't know if you got the ratings yet, but uh, if you don't, maybe you can look up something on that by the time we get finished with this. But we're starting to see what potentially a post-punk regime looks like, and it ain't good. And we're starting to see now that more of the people that we would have wanted to see elevated are probably going to be even harder to find at this point, now that we know, again, who Tony has fallen for in his judgment. Um, Speaking of another Tony, though, at the top of the program, what what has happened to poor Tony Schiavone's voice? I mean, it was rough. I can commiserate with voice problems. There were several years ago, remember on the podcast, when I was back doing announcing, I would have numerous issues with my voice. But his is at the start of the show, and it's not like he's done a bunch of shit previously. I'm wondering, is he still doing other announcing or some of the other radio work that he was doing in Atlanta or whatever before? Because he sounded like old Uncle Elijah. It's like 105. Did you notice that, or do you tune the commentary out when Ian Riccoboni's not on? You know, I think Ian's good. I don't think Ian's the bee's knees, but I think that Tony has not sounded like a young Tony Schiavone in a long time. I didn't, maybe I have to go back and check it and notice anything especially bad, but... At the open of the show, it was rough. You know, during the matches, I, 
It's become a running gag for me and everyone else. He doesn't say anything. Oh, look at him. Oh, I'm really digging this. Oh, this is great. Oh, you're right about that. So, I mean, I don't know what talking he's done that would have hurt his vocal cords in the last few months. Baseball season's over. Didn't he used to do minor league baseball? I don't know, but I hope he's doing well. Speaking of doing well, here comes the star of our show right off the bat. They play Judas, and boy, is he living up to the song. I'm telling you, the most popular heel in wrestling history enters to a sing-along of his theme music from the fans with his stooges and his baseball bat. Isn't Sting pissed about trademark infringement? Hadn't he been doing the bat for 20 years? Now Jericho's got a black bat. Where's Sting? Where's Sting? Uh, Then here comes Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Useless. And the opening of the program is Claudio and Useless, the Blackpool Combat Club against Jericho and Danny Garcia from the Jericho Appreciators. And think about that. Let everybody get this visual picture in your mind. A wrestling ring in an arena. One side is Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta, and the other side is Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia. And it looked like if if they had pro-am wrestling, like they have pro-am golf, where if somebody contributes enough money to whatever the charity is, they get to play with a pro on their team. It was, <sighs> there's Jericho and there's Claudio, and then there's the two amateurs that I'm not saying that they're even the worst wrestlers in the world, but my God, visually, is this what you want to see the first on, on the first match opposite, you know, they're in a promotional war with this, whatever you say about the WWE, all of their guys mostly look like athletes. Yuta looks like an ironing board wearing tights. I mean, it just, so it, it, all I could, I, the match was what it was, right? And Claudio's never bad. Jericho's lost weight. He's he's working because now he knows he's got everybody in his pocket. But now I find it fascinating that whenever they're having a tag team match and there's two guys in the ring, as there usually is legally and during any part of a tag team match, the other guys now not only don't work the corner, but they just get out on the floor and just completely leave the ring. And not even selling. At one point, when Claudio and Jericho were in, Yuta was, he wasn't working the corner. He was standing on the stairs, crouched down, leaning on the ring post, looked like he was hiding, waiting to come back in at the right spot. And then they did it multiple times. They will either, somebody will roll out and just obviously be hiding behind the apron, peeking up and watching when it's their time to come in again. They've lost the complete fucking plot of this thing. And then their break spot, which came eight minutes into the show, was Hager from the outside tripping Claudio while referee Aubrey Ed, Wilbur, was staring at him, doing it. They didn't even make an attempt to distract her. And she just, and then they go to the break. I got to be honest with you. With this match going on, 
Eight minutes into the show, I've still got time to find something else that I can see almost from the start. I wouldn't have gone to break eight minutes in the show on this fucking match. But anyway, they come back. Now Claudio and Jericho are both down, and Garcia is kneeling on the floor outside the ring by the apron, but they get a camera shot of him. He's just staring up, waiting for something else in the ring to happen. I mean, the... A baby face, if you were just thrown together in a tag team, the guy that was selling back in the old days, if the goddamn, if his partner wasn't working the apron, reaching for a tag, trying to keep the people into it, the baby face that was selling would have words afterwards. Like, what the fuck? I'm in there getting my ass kicked, taking bumps, and you're just fucking wandering around outside? You fucking moron? So... And at the same time that Garcia was kneeling on the floor by the apron, staring at what was going on, Oh Useless was back over on the other side, just climbing up the stairs from a bump that he took 45 seconds previously. And then fucking Claudio just cold tags Yuta, who doesn't come in the ring to make a comeback. He immediately jumps up to the top rope and splashes Jericho gets a two count, and then gets on Garcia. I always talk about the horrible fake punches that these guys are throwing from the mount. These weren't even horrible fake punches. These were horrible fake girl punches. I mean, it, he he wasn't trying to connect with anything. He was swinging sideways wildly like he was a six-year-old girl having a fit about her pudding. And then he got up and made some mean faces. And then poor Stace, because the remodel is still going on, so she doesn't have the 85-inch out in the studio anymore. So she's sitting there and just stood up and said, that was outlaw as fuck, and fucking walked out. So that was the guy's big comeback. And then he tagged Claudio back in. Because that's another thing they do now. They tag the baby face to make the big comeback and go into the finish, but they forget to go in the finish and they start tagging back and forth like the first part of the match never happened. God damn it. Uh, useless dives. The referee got distracted. Jericho came in with a bat. But as he swung, Claudio powerbombed him and Jericho dropped the bat. So Aubrey turns around and sees Jericho laying in the ring and sees the bat bigger than fucking Christmas laying right next to him and just stands there and does, they never, she never makes a move. Nobody makes a move to get the bat, take the bat out of the ring or to disqualify anybody because the bat's in the ring. And then Claudio in the only thing that made this match really worth watching gets Jericho in the big swing with Garcia on his back in a fireman's carry and does about 10 revolutions. And then, of course, Claudio goes to the floor and levels all the stooges and then goes back in the ring and hits a finish on Jericho. One, two, three. When have you seen that happen last time, that Jericho would get pinned one, two, three on Tellular Vision? It's all part of the plan. It's perfect. The one time that he puts somebody over, it's Claudio, a guy that everybody likes, and that also is perfect timing for Jericho to say, 
see, I'm back and I'm going to help in creative and I'm going to put young guys over. And now that we've got rid of the cancer in the locker room that was preventing me from being the top star in this fucking dog and pony show, I'm going to be real giving for the next few weeks until people get the impression that I'm giving. And then I will slowly slip back into beating the fuck out of everybody, including every ex ring of honor champion they can possibly book. Do you think they're falling for this too now, aren't they? All of a sudden the benevolent kind, humble and lovable shoeshine boy, Chris Jericho doing jobs at this particular point in time. Brian, do you see that coming down the road? Do I see what coming down the road? This this whole Jericho company man thing at this particular point in time, right now, when he's getting everything going his way, brand new contract, creative spot, got to make sure all the boys are on my side so that they don't realize that I've planned this all along and have instigated this to get this far. I mean, he's he's got he's got plenty of practice studying insurrections. Does Jericho? Well, certainly his family does, but it's not really an insurrection when, you know, you have a clear path because <laughs> you've outplayed everyone. This is what Jericho wants. Jericho did not want CM Punk there. Jericho was the first person that loudly said he wanted CM Punk fired. Made a lot of sense. Chris Jericho's booking has been atrocious for a long time, and now it's going to be total nonstop Jericho. And we heard Chris Jericho came out at that media deal is oh mjf's gotta be babyface immediately like anybody who hadn't been in the wrestling business for 20 years would know that the exact thing that you don't do with a generational talent like mjf is change him up that's why they like him because they've liked what he's been but if he can take the edge off mjf and diminish his popularity then he's got rid of the veteran and now he's minimalized the up-and-coming prospect, and as I mentioned earlier in the program, Danielson and Moxley are too busy being nice to everybody and wanting everybody to like them and doing their the their own version of the wrestling they like. Danielson's we do like, and Moxley's we can't stand. Every time Yuta does anything, I just expect him to go, this is for the juggalos and juggalettes. Fuck this shit! Is he... Is, oh, that's... I was gonna say, is he one of those juggaloos, but he looks like the how can i he looks like superhuman i'm gonna save you from whatever you're about to say well but uh, well i was gonna try to give some context because if you he looks like superhuman most normal people are gonna go what is he talking about there is a mentally challenged individual who apparently has no one in his family with a good sense to watch him or take care of him or prevent him from making bad choices that is famous for Jumping off of shit through shit like wrestlers do and hurting himself on Twitter. And yeah, he does. He looks like fucking superhuman. The best part of this match was that it was over and we go to the the uh, waiting arms of Renee Moxley-Good so that she can have a talk with Brian Danielson. And... They're in the back. Danielson is frustrated about Jericho and Garcia and Yuta. He's frustrated about everybody. And then Yuta comes in and yells at Daniel Bryan. And Claudio comes in and separates them. Like, now we're going to sit down and discuss this like adults. So now the baby faces 
are fighting amongst themselves. And if it means that Danielson will eventually turn out of this, then great. I don't care how it happens, but I don't have any confidence that that's what they're setting up. I think the baby faces are just arguing because Tony thinks it might be swell. I think that there is nothing stopping them from pushing Wheeler Yuta in a way that isn't reasonable and that nobody really wants, but he is their Eric Watts right now. And his promos, I told you last time, he has a Seth Rollins screech when he talks. So it sounds bad, but where's this coming from? This fucking guy who did nothing. All of a sudden he's with them and now he's yelling at Brian Danielson. Yeah, talking to him like a fucking field hand. And the fans sat on their hands for a lot of this match. And that's not a unique thing for this match or this show or wrestling right now. I mean, it's across all the promotions that are on TV that you see that. But they were into Claudio. I don't know how into Yuta the fans are. It's not just us, I don't think. I think it's, again, the same. What have we determined now? Is it six or 700,000 people that love the the whole elite thing and love the whole Harpo thing and love all the play wrestlers are going to love Yuta because he, he's been embraced by all their favorites? And everybody who wants to watch a major league wrestling program on national television is sitting there and going, what the fuck is this? All right. Speaking of what the fuck is this, so they had a video going to the break of the elite, Matt and Jeff Hardley, and uh, Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang, and they did some special effects to where they hit their pose in the ring or they do whatever. And then suddenly they just, they vanish. It's like they burst into flame or the effect is that they're disappearing off the screen. And so obviously this is some kind of play on, Oh, the founders had suddenly been erased from our history. And what's it going to mean from here? If the elite can really be made to evaporate can we do a GoFundMe and make it happen permanently? I'm just, well, I'll, I'll put up the first large chunk of money. But what? Obvious, and, and by the, they, the three of them, the three stooges, were backstage at the television taping. That's been reported. With Don Callis. With Don Fallis. Well, he, you know, like fungus on a shower curtain. He'll show back up just when you think it's gone. So now what are they, are they trying to get, is this the start of a thing where they're coming back and they're pissed off because their legacy and their contributions such as they were to this company were erased and now they've got a chip on their shoulder or is it just a, a thing to get people talking their version of white rabbit and they're just going to show back up. Remember last time Twinkle Toes showed back up, he'd been gone like nine months and people tuned out and said please go away some more i think they're going to come back and they're going to try to make the fans feel guilty for not appreciating them because they went away and everyone just moved on and they're going to come back and they're going to try to make it all about them again and we'll see how the fans take to it it'll certainly be very interesting what happened when twinkle toes was gone for nine months did the ratings fall in a hole they they didn't do any million dollar gates or any you know, record pay-per-views, except for the ones they did that Punk was on top of. 
No, it and, didn't. and the other thing is, you could argue about Omega because at least he's a main event singles wrestler. Did it hurt them at all not having the Young Bucks the last few months? Well, that's another thing I was going to ask that next. Uh, what about the uh, the Cucamonga kids? Have the ratings fallen in a hole? Has there been massive chance of their names? Have people been setting the seats on fire? We want the Bucks. No, everything's exactly the same. Maybe a little better because we don't have to watch them wrestle. But I guarantee you, they're going to find out <laughs> none of those numbers are going to be the same without Punk because he was the difference. Anyway, so then we've got Tony Schiavone with Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara and Ty Melo Conti and I think Anna Jay and the other Jericho appreciators. There was like nine or ten people in this shot backstage, and they had audio trouble with their microphone. It was going in and out, and Jericho was, of course, mad about losing, pitching a fit about that. And then, as he's saying, well, he's, you know, putting out a dare, he's he's going to defend and he's going to beat all the former Ring of Honor world champions and show how prestigious his title is. In addition to the audio trouble, which... Old Sockface apologized to or apologized for when they went back to the announce desk. As Jericho saying, I'm the greatest and I'm going to beat all the former Ring of Honor champions and all this stuff. <laughs> One of the fucking crew members' heads popped up into the lower screen in the shot. <laughs> I guess he was, maybe he's trying to move a boom in quicker to be able to pick it up because their microphone didn't work. It looked like cable access. I loved it. This was my favorite segment of the show. Just all the technical God. problems here. I couldn't tell if it was a head or a boom, or the you know the no, it, no, it, it was a guy's. It was a big gray head, gray headed crew member. It better not have been a boom microphone. It was as big as a fucking bushel basket. Hey, let me ask you something. The Young Bucks and Omega are back. CM Punk is likely gone. Chris Jericho hates CM Punk. Defending the title against the former Ring of Honor champions. Are they going to bring Colt Cabana back on TV to wrestle Chris Jericho? <laughs> Wait a minute. Was he ever the champion? Early on, did they make that mistake? While you look up the Ring of Honor title lineage, I will move on to the next match that was a crime against nature. And another example of what we're going to be putting up with now that the inmates are once again in charge of the asylum. A number one contenders match for the AEW tag team title. Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland against FTR. Not only were FTR derailed, the planned dropping of the AEW tag team title to them was canceled in favor of the kids being able to play without the parents around. FTR has been diminished. They still hold every other tag team title in the world, but of course that doesn't mean anything. Here in the United States of America, it means nothing that they're carrying the Ring of Honor belts or the AAA belts or the goddamn New Japan belts unless they have the real belts, the AEW belts that are the primary tag team title for this company and this program. That would have made the other three mean something in addition. As it is, they're two of 25 people wandering around with belts or multiple belts 
that are not related to the promotion we're watching. So they've given them a bunch of belts that mean nothing. You never see them defend any of them. They never wrestle on television except in singles where they lose. And now the people, even though they still get a pop and they still like them whenever they come out, every time they see them come out, they know they either ain't going to get to see them wrestle or they definitely ain't going to see them win. And they've been diminished because they were a threat to the two children that think that they're the greatest tag team in the world because a senile resident of Campbell-by-the-Sea, California, has told them that because they spoke nice to him. And instead, the best tag team in the business now came out here and did everything they could to get Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland over. And the problem is that while Swerve is fairly talented, Keith Lee and Swerve are a rotten tag team combination with no experience with each other as a tag team combination. And doesn't apparently not a lot of good ideas or strategy. And I think we now, the, the verdict is in on Keith Lee in the WWE. I said, boy, I'd keep him. He's something. When we looked at their roster a year and a half ago or whatever. But since it's another, like an Adam Cole situation, apparently they, instead of, keeping him under their thumb in the WWE and preventing him from getting over on his own. He's another guy that they presented at his best and and brightest exposure and kept him away from his worst influences. They didn't like his promo. He wouldn't change it. Apparently they probably didn't like his weight. He didn't change that. So they fired him and now he's doing the same promo. His weight's out of control and mother of pearl, he's got to be a chore to work with watching this match. And the acclaimed and Billy Gunn and the ass boys were in the arena watching this. And of course, the crowd hijacked the match at the at the bell, at the opening bells, chanting, scissor me, daddy, because now again, the booking has led to FTR being the most popular tag team in the company six weeks ago and the tag team champions taking a back seat to scissor me daddy ass cash and swerve actually wrestled cash is better at it than swerve but swerve ain't bad and cash put himself in the right place for all the swerve stuff and dax got in and then here came keith lee and both dax and cash put Lee's size and strength over as best they could. Lee can move in short bursts, but it looks like he needs twice as long in between to recover from a short burst. And this could not have been easy to try to put this together on FTR's part. Um, They went through a break. When they came back, the fans were sitting on their hands because Swerve and Keith Lee were in control of cash, getting the heat on him. That meant they were dictating the pace, and it was blah. And then finally, for the first sign of life in about 10 minutes, Cash actually made a hot tag to Dax. He figured out a way to do it where they didn't see it coming. Did you see the comeback that Dax made on this, Brian? I watched a match, yeah. I'll tell you what. 
everybody's talking about backstage fucking fights and shoots. If I'd have been Dax Harwood and this was the most that I got out of a motherfucker selling for my comeback, there'd have been a bigger fight in the locker room. Dax comes in with three jabs and two rights and then four chops. Swerve has not taken the first fucking bump yet and started fighting back. I don't know that I can remember maybe an Andre the Giant match where a babyface made a fucking tag and the heel didn't take one bump for his comeback. So, hold on. Three jabs, two rights, four chops, swerve is staggering, ain't left his feet, started fighting back. Dax shut him down and hit 12 more chops. Swerve took no bump and started fighting back. Keith Lee came over and took seven chops, no bump, and started fighting back. Meanwhile, Cash was out hiding on the floor below the apron because his cue hadn't come up yet. <clears throat> and there's FTR trying to do this convoluted and complicated finish that they've set up for a tag team that if a tag team had been competent, it might have gotten them over, but as it was, Swerve and Keith Lee couldn't do this. So FTR was trying to call college mathematics with an amateur fucking grade school math class. And at one point, they did the roll-up roll deal where Swerve would do an O'Connor roll-up on Dax, and then Dax would kick him off, and Swerve would jump up on the turnbuckle, turn around, cross body off. Bobby Eaton, Bobby Fulton, Fantastic's Midnight Express, many heels and baby faces throughout history. Dax kicks off out of the roll-up, Swerve goes to the buckle and jumps up on the turnbuckle facing inside the ring. He didn't jump up facing out and do a turnaround crossbody. He tried to jump up on the turnbuckles, already looking in the ring, and slipped off the fucking ropes and fell right at goddamn Dax's feet. Before he went all the way down, he recovered and jumped up and crossbodied Dax off the mat. And Dax had to fall backwards with that. And then FTR hit Swerve with everything. Several moves in a row and got a two count. And then they did a sloppy deal where Swerve kicked Dax off the apron and tagged Keith Lee. But Swerve couldn't do the, the fucking deal that he tried to do right. I don't fucking know. It made no sense for the heels to do it anyway. Because it looked almost like a babyface thing. They gave Cash a huge powerbomb off Keith Lee's shoulders that he threw Cash into Swerve, powerbomb, boom, and Cash kicked out. They're about to, I'm not going to spoil anything when I say FTR is about to do the job anyway. So goddamn, that looked like if you ought to do a job for anything, that's what you ought to get beat by, but that was a two count. And then they did more complicated shit. And Dax hit a slingshot powerbomb on Swerve. And Keith Lee hit a big shoulder tackle on Dax. And Cash dropkicked Keith. And Keith Lee, of course, no-sold that and head-butted Cash and got a two-count. FTR can't whip the fucking fans is what I wrote in my notes. Then, 
they got Keith Lee's massive ass on the top rope and tried a, the superplex splash that they do, Dax and Cash. But Keith Lee could barely get up there, and then he could barely push off, and it wasn't like Dax was going to send him all the way to the middle on his own. So he barely, Keith Lee, got turned over and landed on the superplex like five feet from the corner. Well, Cash could have made it with the splash because he did, but when Keith Lee didn't go over and land flat, he landed rolling because he's as round as he is tall and he has to flap his arms. You can tell whether he's rolling or walking. So he rolls up and onto his stomach and out of the way of the splash that Cash has already left the top rope for. And instead of sitting right back down, remembering what was going to happen to him, he went with it and rolled all the way over on his belly and Cash barely grazed Keith Lee's back with the splash. Oh my God. Somehow they hit the big rig on Keith Lee, but Swerve made the save. So now they've hit their finish. And that hadn't worked after these guys have not taken a goddamn bump for him or sold anything. And then Swerve hits a nut shot on Dax and Keith Lee hits his finish on him while the ass boys have cash on the floor holding him so he can't make the save. So that shitty little piece of business was the finish instead of they could have beat him five minutes before that with that big power bomb and they wouldn't have kicked out of their finish and they wouldn't no sold, no sold some other shit. But they couldn't have got the big story in at the end with the fucking ass boys holding cash out. That's apparently supposed to give FTR an excuse for losing when through the whole match these middle card guys dominated them at every opportunity and sold jack all of shit for him so that they lee and swerve took most of the match none of the bumps foiled everything that ftr tried to do survived their finish and beat them hello well you know the bucks are back ftr lost on tv you know omega's back rio's on tv for what well, it was, we'll get there. for what it was, it was a good match with a lot of problems. I like Swerve, and as sloppy as he may be at times, he wasn't the problem here. I've been a Keith Lee fan and supporter in the past, but it cannot be easy to work with him. If you like him and you just watch these matches, it cannot be easy to be in the ring and try to make a match happen with him. Am I wrong? No, it's like it's like working with a fucking mattress. It, it just, the size and unwieldy nature of it alone is everything's going to look. And you can't, even if he knows where he's supposed to go, it, FTR made the finish too complicated. And you know that was their finish. Because the, oh, yeah. the other two was not capable of coming up with all that. If it had been a great tag team that could keep up with them, it had been one thing. But you can't even turn Keith Lee's momentum. If he's going south... You can't turn him and get him going north, nor can he do it for himself without a goddamn a wide swing around the corner. Let me ask you two questions about all this. One, actually, I guess it's one question. I'm not against the idea of doing the third match between, although after watching this, I, I don't know, Keith Lee's getting rough to watch in the ring, but I'm not against doing the idea of the acclaimed against Swerve and Keith Lee, the third match. Each one, one match. It's kind of what 
should right. happen with FTR on the Young Bucks. Right. But does the end result of that match being the winning team eventually dropping the belts to FTR excuse the fact that this team, which were the number one contenders for months and have all these other belts, just did a clean job on TV? No, this the idea that we'll get the title after the fact. No, because it still doesn't. But because it's not somebody out there goes. Well, it's a rule of thumb that before a person or team should win a title, that they should do a number of jobs for other people so they have challengers ready to go. Yeah, in a perfect world, that is correct. When they those stars had been built up properly and gotten over as a level of main eventers, and those stars are on television regularly being featured and the matches that they had with those people are good so you'd want to see them again <laughs> and all of those things have to come into play also and then you can do a bunch of jobs and then win a title and it means something but if you do a bunch of jobs when again from the start and they're not alone none of these people had a proper promotional push it it was a joke they come in they have long main event matches and get beat. And then after they're there for a year, they start beating job guys in five minutes. That's for everybody on the whole roster. So they've never had a coherent promotional push. They never had somebody giving them the ball and letting them run with it. The fans got FTR over on their own because they're obviously clearly the best and, and excel every time you see them. And that caused... You know, the California Raisins to go, oh, shit, we got to put an end to this. How can we do this without it being obvious? Ah, and all the little tricks that go along with it. Always lose the single match every time. Always lose the big tag match and then win something less important and less high profile. Uh, don't be seen regularly when the people are cheering for you or when the live crowd cheers for you. Put you on pre-tape. And then sooner or later, people will move on and they'll come to find the new shiny thing. Oh, the guy that raps and his partner and they scissor, daddy ass. We like that now because we're seeing a lot of them. And they're not a threat to the EVPs because they're young kids that will do what, they what they're told. They're over with the fans, but they're not fucking accomplished professionals and in-ring geniuses like goddamn Dax and Cash. So the Bucks don't have to worry about being shown up there. So it's, it's, you know, it's all amenable to the people that are really running the company, not the owner and boss, Tony Khan, but the people he's hired to supposedly make his business bigger. They do that as long as it doesn't interfere with them being on top or their friends being able to play with them. So speaking of friends playing, Renee Moxley Good was in the back with Soraya where they exchanged girl talk and then Britt Baker came in and they exchanged girl arguing. And then we went to a commercial. We came back and Renee Moxley Good was on the ramp now. And she introduced... What an amazing introduction. Here it is word for word. Joining me right now, MJF. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, she shouldn't give MJF a big build-up for an introduction because MJF is about to try to take the world title away from her husband. And I agree with you. 
which is probably a real good reason why she shouldn't be doing the fucking interview. Jesus H. Christ. And if it was a legitimate situation, then the guy's wife would not want to interview the guy that's going to try to fuck him around. And they got 18 interviewed. Marvez was still around, old Officer Barbrady. He hoped up the last segment. But anyway, so here comes MJF. The MJF chance, the devil has arrived in Virginia. And I've noticed, Renee asks questions like a WWE interviewer. It's very stilted and stagey, and it's a prepared question. It doesn't rattle off the tongue. It doesn't come off the top of the head. That's been the but biggest get, thing about her in here so far. It's been apparent that she's doing a WWE style, and it's terrible. Well, and and but it seems like somebody could say, okay, you don't have to do that now anymore, like they used to make you. Even the thing in the back, it's much better when you go to the interview and someone's standing there with the people. Not Now she has to introduce everyone, and they stay, they walk in from a step over. <laughs> And then you have to see them and no one says anything for a weird, awkward second. Don't do that. She's not Gene Okerlund. She's another interviewer. <laughs> anyway, so and, and I know that's the only place she's ever been, WWE. So she's never actually been in the wrestling business. But you would think that if you watch television, you'd know how to do a natural interview. But nevertheless, MJF was great, imitated Moxley. I'm going to drink your bones and eat your blood or whatever. And he was hilarious there, told Renee to shut up, promised that he was going to wrestle the title match relatively clean. And he was winking, you know, it's been, not all the way, you know me. You can see what they're trying to do here already. Instead of leaning into how they should worship him and telling the people that they're obviously dreck and paupers and beneath him but he understands why they worship him now he's being friendly with him and he's bringing him in and what am i right virginia because jericho's getting his way and he doesn't even though jericho doesn't want heat and that's a good thing because he doesn't have any he wants to be the top heel and he can't do that with mjf around so the first thing after you know showing up Day late and a dollar short at the after the brawl, and then saying, you know, punk, you're a cancer to the business, and then getting in Tony Khan's ear about that. Now he's figured out a way to fucking move MJF over to the side and diminish him because what's going to happen is they're still going to love MJF for a while. But after what's happened at the end of this program, we'll get to it in a minute. When you put MJF in a sympathetic position, you've just screwed the pooch. You have, what was it that uh, Kevin Sullivan said after they beat Goldberg? Well, we just, or no, it was Heenan. We just killed the goose that ate the golden leg. Ate, ate, the, <laughs> ate the golden ate leg. Ate the golden leg. Ate the golden leg. We just killed the goose that laid the golden egg. He promised he wasn't going to use the diamond ring, did MJF, because he wants to show Regal up. He did a fired-up promo about Moxley. But he's going to win on behalf of every scumbag who told him he wasn't good enough. Because apparently that's a big thing with the modern generation. 
people have told them all their lives that they weren't good enough and they weren't going to be able to do this. And apparently these fucking suckers actually believe these people and get upset about it. Instead of going, how about this? Can I turn it up for you? Fuck you. Feed you some fish heads. That's your opinion. Go on about your business. Everybody takes this to heart and is mentally scarred by these people saying these horrible things to them. So when MJF says, I'm going to get back at every scumbag who told me I wasn't good enough, the whole crowd's like, yeah, because we got a bunch of those too. I don't have one motherfucker in my 60 years in life that I want to get back at that told me I wasn't good enough because the only ones that ever said that, I'd already was good enough and had been so good for so long that I was there for them to say that to. And I didn't believe them when they said it then because I think I'm better than they are and I think they're idiots. But now what they're going to do is they're going to have MJF a sympathetic figure. When's the last time you had sympathy for Satan? When is the last time that you felt bad for Charles Manson? When is the last time that you just, God dang it, if things had just turned out better and he hadn't been bullied in school, I bet Hitler would have been a, a better fellow. You don't do this. Stokely Hathaway comes out, or is it, that is his name now. Malcolm Bivens, not Stokely Hathaway. I call him Stokely Carmichael so much. He comes out and MJF slaps his microphone away and tells him, don't touch Moxley or you're fired. By this point, Renee Moxley Good had completely disappeared and the crowd finished MJF's catchphrase. Here's the problem. Again, with no leadership and no experience at the top, it was easy for Tony to be manipulated into believing that MJF should be a babyface because he technically already was. But the reason why he already was is because he was so talented and so unique and he was a heel and they fucking hated him until he became the best thing on the whole fucking show. For the variety of reasons of attrition and poor talent choices. So then the people are cheering him out of the building. And if he was continuing to do what he was still doing and take advantage of that, say, yes, you're right. You should worship me. Drop down on your knees. Give me five hallelujahs. Now he's being nice to him. He's bringing him into it. He's, he's, he's working with them. And he's going to be popular and over for a while, but sooner or later, unless somebody smartens up and they switch him back quick, and then it will still diminish him because it happened at all, they're taking away the part of the devil that you were intrigued by enough to get close enough to him to sell him your fucking soul. So I understand Tony with no experience, no knowledge, no insight, believing somebody with experience that, oh, you got to make MJF a baby face because people are cheering him. The problem is, is Tony set up a situation where the boss is a complete novice and has to be relying on people like that who have their own agendas and their own reasons for giving him advice because he's not smart enough to know the difference. So anyway, it's so soon, so rushed, so wrong, 
Stokely has been here, what, six weeks? Remember when, well, you don't remember, Brian, you weren't born, but you know it happened and you've seen footage since then, but when Dusty Rhodes switched babyface in 1974 in the Florida Territory, broke loose from Gary Hart's army, like Pak Song Nam, the evil Korean assassin, and whoever else Gary was managing, wasn't it Missouri Mauler? The people had been wanting it to happen for months and months. Dusty had been getting started cheered because of his promo and because of his charisma, even when he was in the heel group. And Eddie Graham was smart enough to realize that, but he wanted the people to call it themselves, and he wanted them to really want it. So he milked it, and he milked it. And Gary Hart's group, Gary Hart had been in Florida as a manager for years. He was a heel through and through, and his group was a main event group. And all these people had been interacting for months and months on every week's TV. And it got to the point where Dusty, still as a heel, was so getting so popular with the fans, the famous spot. They gave Dusty Rhodes a match against Jack Briscoe for the NWA title. And Briscoe, of everywhere in the country, was the biggest babyface in Florida. He'd been the hero there for years. And Jack Briscoe, when Dusty dropped the fucking elbow on him and covered him, one, two, Briscoe had to put his foot on the ropes to cause a break. He almost lost to Dusty Rhodes fair and square. If he hadn't been that close to the ropes, it would have, the people popped. And they were not happy that Dusty didn't win. And that's when Eddie Graham knew it was time to do the deal. And as a result, not only did the, the territory sell out in every major market for months and months on end. It was the best run of business in the history of Florida wrestling, but it made Dusty Rhodes one of the top box office attractions in the business for the next fucking 15 years. Or they can do it with a mid-card manager that's been in the company for six weeks with a group of job guys that we barely saw that had never been together before last month, and then they can just, oh, okay, well, now it's time to do that. Here we go. Your thoughts. You know, the problem is both options here are not good. And you have to wonder, you know, MJF's still a young guy, and there's a lot of people there who have been around wrestling for a long time. You have to wonder if he's hearing the wrong thing from people. Because another thing that we realize at least I do. I mean, you tell me if you think I'm wrong, but out of everyone there, he has the most potential to be the biggest star and in doing so being a bigger star than everyone who's currently in AEW. Yeah. Like MJF's future in wrestling is bigger than what Chris Jericho's past was. And I'm not saying that as an insult to Jericho. If things work out the way they should, the trajectory continues. That's the way it is. So I would- be Starting in 2024. Yeah. So- if if everyone there is telling him you, you need to be a babyface, you need to be a babyface, maybe you also need to consider where it's coming from. Who amongst these people is a wrestling expert? But I said it's one of two things and they're both bad. It's either that this is an attempt to rush an MJF babyface turn, which I'm not happy with, or potentially even worse, it's a big swerve 
And MJF, it'll turn out, plan this whole thing out to trick Moxley and Regal. And they went as far as him getting his ass kicked by his own group to swerve people. See, I'm not happy with any of this MJF yeah, yeah, booking yeah. right now. None of the and, options. And, and also what you said, I can, I, I can firmly believe that a bunch of the young guys on the roster are going, hey, MJF, you're, you know, so popular. You know, you gotta be, you're going to be a big baby face. And they think that'd be a good thing. But no. And, and Jericho stooged himself. He said it in public at that media thing. Oh, yeah, MJF's going to have to be a baby face here. He's going to be our big baby face real soon. Yeah. And that's what he's wanting. He's he's moved Punk to the side. Now he's going to fucking minimize MJF. And there you go. The field is clear. Because nobody with that long experience in the wrestling business cannot see. And I think MJF knows. Because he can't. What do you think MJF is thinking now? How do I put my matches together as a babyface? What the fuck? He has impeccable matches, perfect matches. Everything makes sense. Everything gets across. How can he do that as a babyface and and maintain everything about him that got him over? The promos he's already he's doing it somewhat, but when the when the devil loses his edge and becomes the kindly old cranky guy down the street. You know, then he he softens. It 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 wasn't right. Steve Austin didn't just come out and suddenly start fucking clanging bottles of fucking milk together. He did exactly the same thing he'd always done. The people called it, and the opponents changed, but he didn't. It, do you ever recall a time where Steve Austin was a heel? And then became the baby face, but the 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 heels came out and kicked the shit out of him and left him laying for that to happen. You know, the other thing is last week we had this amazing promo with him and Regal and all wow. that. Did Regal say boo on this episode? MJF got a long promo. I'm not necessarily crazy about all this Stokely stuff. He did color on the Jericho appreciators match. What would have been more effective, that or him coming out there for a minute on that stage in front of that crowd and saying something to pump people up for that match? Fresh off last week's promo, instead of not having him do anything like that. Make people remember the good shit and keep doing it. I don't know. That's my two cents. Well, if you paid two cents for this program, inflation really is running rampant in the country today. Anyway, the next event... Brian Danielson versus Sammy Guevara with his main squeeze, Ty Melocanti. And I always want to like everything Brian Danielson does. I really, and he is so brilliant, not only there for a while, but consistently. But I just, I couldn't get into this this match as much as I normally do with Danielson stuff. I mean, it was a modern style match. At least Danielson takes his time and everything that he does looks good. But it just, Sammy started kicking the, at the opening, started kicking the shit out of Danielson for a while. And then Brian comes back out and gets the Romero special. So, I mean, Sammy just got all over him and just beat the piss out of him. And then Brian gets this great technical hold. And they, you know, then finally go into the break. Sammy takes back over on him and does a big backflip. 
and they come back, and it was really Sammy getting heat on Danielson and just kicking and and or chopping, and finally he kicked him, I don't know, 20 times, and Brian just gets up and starts a comeback with chops and kicks. Lots of kicks. There was a dive in there, and then some more kicks, and then a bunch of flips. And then Danielson got the LaBelle lock, Sammy got a rope break, and then they both got up and set up to do a double backflip off the fucking top rope. Um... And then Danielson finally just hits his running knee and did the stomps, got him in a triangle, hit him with the elbows, and the referee just stopped it. Okay, that's enough. You know, normally I'd say, okay, the babyface beats the heel clean. You know, no, no out. Sammy's in the doghouse or whatever the fuck anyway. But it this is like a, another match or another finish they have in almost every other match. They just... The finish comes out of nowhere and it's flat. And whether the heel loses or the baby face loses, nobody has an out or nobody has a bitch or nobody, nobody got fucked or nobody got the heel didn't deserve to get fucked. Um, it just ends and, and they, they don't build to a, they think building to a climax is all these multiple over and over sequences of moves that they do that are faster and faster, but it doesn't, you don't have to do a hundred things. When you build to a finish, the one, two, three, or the I quit or the tap out or whatever should be the big pop. And you should have been building to that point, whether it was three things that meant something or a hundred that didn't, but it should be, but half the time in these days, or these matches, the the biggest pops are in the middle. And then the finish is like, oh, wow, they've... Yeah, it was starting to get old, so I guess it was about time they did that. It's like if the best part of the movie was halfway in and then you still had to piss and get popcorn and sit through the finish. What do you think, Brian? Well, you know what I've thought of Brian Danielson's stuff recently, and I've not been happy to say that I have not really enjoyed his matches just because, I don't know, everything just seems kind of flat right now. With Sammy Guevara, I think I said it when we reviewed the roster, here's a guy that could be such a great heel on that roster, but he's never on his own. Here he is, comes out with her. They're perfect together as a young heel couple you want to hate. And then, I don't know. His matches to me don't really do it. I mean, that he usually does one crazy spot and he's he's not working like a heel. He's still doing the big springboard into the jumping cutter off the top rope or the back moonsault into the Asahara fucking water slide or whatever the fuck they call everything. And and that doesn't get any heat on him. His face and his girl do that, but then he wants to outshine the baby face and still impress people that he's crazy and he'll risk his neck so they'll cheer what he does even though they're supposed to hate him. Is the Spanish fly off the top rope move the dumbest move in wrestling? I don't know why. In the, why would you do that? Why would you take it? Why would anybody believe it? It just, okay, they stand there and, okay, let's go. And one guy backflips and one guy front flips. You can't tell who's pitching and who's catching. It should hurt both guys. Pretty much equally. Should the physics of wrestling always be visual easily to the audience in your eyes? If that makes any sense. 
it should easily be understandable visibly who executed the move and who took the brunt of the move. Who get, who got hurt and who did it on purpose. That should easily and instantly be visually obvious or elsewise you've fucked up. You really have. I can't think of anything. They say there's an exception to every rule, but in this case, I don't think there is. I don't think there is a good wrestling move that's ever been done where the audience didn't immediately know which guy got hurt and which guy did the move to the other guy. Uh, Speaking of what we don't understand, real briefly, Renee Moxley Good was in the back with Penthouse and Alex. We love Alex, and he barely had a chance to say anything. And then here came Christian Cage and Dino. They walked in when... Was it Penthouse Penthouse Phoenix? No, it was Penthouse and Alex. I thought it was Penthouse. Well, that's one of them. Alex was there. Yeah, he was definitely there. Yes, Penthouse, because he's going to wrestle for the AEW title later on, but they wanted to win the Atlantic title. Right, it was his brother, Felix. Uh, Phoenix, now you got me doing it. Phoenix. Well, whichever. Point is, the one guy wants to win the All-Atlantic title, but Cage and Dino come in when they mention it because they want all the titles. Even though the guy that was standing there, Felix, if that was him, he was standing there, he was holding a belt. And then, as soon as they mention the atlantic title and that they want it then pockets walks in holding that belt and everybody stood and stared at each other and pockets just stared at the camera and didn't even look at the people that he was kind of mumbling to and then it all was over all righty i know you watched the next match brian because the the lady you have a crush on that you think Who's is that? the savior of the women's division in AEW, Jamie Hayter. I don't have a crush on her. I definitely think she's the savior of that division if they did the right thing, but I wouldn't Well, say. I got news for you. Moses couldn't save that division. Jamie Hayter with Reba and Britt Baker in her corner took on the returning Riho. Her name is Riho, and she don't weigh 90 pounds. And when she hits the mat, well, she barely makes a sound. And when she's booked, you know the house is always down. Oh, Riho, Riho, you're just a grade school clown. How long did this match go? About three days. <laughs> I thought maybe you had the real time here. I, I, ate, I ate four meals and shaved twice. No, I don't. It was endless. But that's the problem. And now we know Twinkle Toes is back because he's admitted it and it's not even been called into question. He's not only been in charge of the women's division, but the, the Joshi princesses from Japan are his and his alone. That's his whole project. He's responsible. Blame him. This confused-looking, buck-toothed pet store clerk comes down wearing white chiffon. It looked like she was just stepped off the top of a wedding cake. But it occurred to me, just the mousy face and the confused demeanor, she looks like 
Natalia Shire and Rocky. She was the pet store clerk. Yo, Adrian, she looks like a Japanese Adrian. She's confused at where her iguana has slipped away to. Those things, they love to fucking hide dark places. Anyway. So what I think you're missing is the audience would be going insane if the entire building was like 12-year-old girls were into Riho for some reason. If they were 12-year-old <laughs> girls in Japan, I don't know the whole building would be going. She's never been in front of a whole building in Japan. Remember, these are the girls that wrestle in apartments. Bill Apter, 40 years ago, invented this. He didn't even realize it. Actually, it was Stanley Weston. I'm not going to blame Bill for that. Yeah, and he realized it. Yeah, the Japanese apartment house wrestling crew is in full force here. So a, a cacophony of silence meets Riho as she wanders down the ramp as she is giving up six inches and 40 pounds to Jamie Hayter by the announcer's mathematics. It was ridiculous. And Jamie Hayter has talent, but she had to either put herself into Riho's awkward bullshit or take her own bumps. It was so phony. And I, again, you know, if this girl wanted to goddamn sell goldfish in, you know, the Tokyo train station, I wouldn't have a problem with her. But as a professional wrestler, this is ridiculous. And certainly by now, nobody thinks that if it hadn't been for her friend being one of the EVPs, that this girl would be wrestling on national or any television. She didn't even wrestle on television in Japan. So anyway, they went through a break. <laughs> and I felt bad for Jamie Hayter. It was brutal and wouldn't end. I zipped ahead somehow. Riho got umpteen false finishes. The fans were literally ready to fucking bite cyanide capsules. And finally, out of nowhere, after she's had her ass kicked by this diminutive dwarf, Hater hits a finish out of nowhere, one, two, three. Good God. Good God. I feel like Fraser Crane falling off a stage. Good God. What? Kelsey Grammer's his real name. Well, more people recognize Fraser Crane. So... This, again, this is what the executive vice presidents, at least one of them in this case, are bringing to this program. The irrational insistence above all logic and evidence to the contrary that anybody wants to buy these untrained, self-taught, diminutive, microscopic, puzzled, confused, former Japanese scrub women and pop idols as professional wrestlers. Can we go to the main event? I just want to say, I agree with you about Hater. Hater either has potential or Hater's ready, but she's really good. And she's got size and she has a look and she could bump and she works smart, it seems. Unfortunately, you have to work with who you have to work with and I don't care who you like there. You know, Serena Deeb, Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker... Eventually, you run into a wall of the booking. Now it's going to get a lot worse because Kenny's back and his favorites are going to start getting all the airtime again. Because we My got away from that. My boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. Hey, ya, hey, ya, Kenny's back. It was hey, la, not hey, ya. 
Well, whatever it was. Uh, Hater's really good. They just need to do something with her. Well, they did something else. The AEW title was on the line in the main event. Out of nowhere, Cinderella story, Penthouse gets a title shot, even though they're advertising the big main event between MJF and Moxley, so they were put in the position where they had to say, if Moxley retains tonight, then he'll face MJF in the main event of the pay-per-view. Oh, but the uh, flip side of that coin is if Penthouse wins, the main event at the pay-per-view would be Penthouse against MJF. And right there, that alone tells everybody, this title ain't changing hands tonight. And I've seen the match. We've seen the match every time Moxley gets in the ring and every time the other guy gets in the ring. So it was what you would expect it to be based on previous observations. But the story in this was the finish and the aftermath or the afterbirth, as we used to say in the wrestling business before wrestling business was stripped of its vocabulary. Moxley hits two of the double-arm DDTs. I think Sockface called one of them one thing and one of them the other thing. I think if he if he accidentally drops them on their head, it's it's a paradigm shift, but if he turns them all the way over safe like he does with the Japanese legends, it's a death rider or vice versa. I don't know. But he hit two of those, one, two, three. And then suddenly here comes the firm. And no, it wasn't. And by the way, it it wasn't, I guess, Robert Palmer in the firm. It was Paul Rogers I was trying to think of last week. But nevertheless, this he wasn't there either. Here comes William, boy, William Morrissey, W. Morrissey, the William Morris Agency. God damn it, he's, he should bring a cat with him. To the, that would fuck everybody up. Here comes Morrissey. See, Morris would be the cat, and Morris, yeah, all right. And the other, are you still, is this thing on? Apparently. Okay. And the other Sadly. Page, and here's the guns. And then here comes Stokely walking out afterwards, after the wrestlers have already got in and start doing some damage. And they get heat on Moxley. And remember, MJF said, no, no. And finally, security runs down, but the security gets beat up and then disappears. Apparently, they were all given the ancient oriental gung fu bruce lee palm of death and when they went down they died and could never get back up again but at least they tried again with security and then you get a shot of officer barbrady in the back with his microphone stance where it looks like somebody forgot to take half of the coat hanger out of his jacket his <laughs> arms up there and <laughs> And they're seeing, you're seeing on camera that the Blackpool Combat Club's locker room door has been chained shut. And there's one guy there going, I've got to get some bolt cutters or whatever. And off he runs. They actually stole the angle <laughs> from WCW at, at the Clash of Champions in Cleveland, Ohio, in what was it, 1989 or 1990? 1989. It was the angle 89. that alienated Giant Baba from the that, NWA. That destroyed the 25- or 30-year relationship between Giant Baba and the NWA and WCW in one night by chaining... 
So the Blackpool Combat Club can't come to help Moxley because the dressing room door has been chained shut. And ever the TV camera, the announcers, the security, everybody knows about it long enough to set up a live shot. But son of a bitch, nobody ever found bolt cutters. But anyway, we come back to the ring and here comes MJF. And he comes out and shoves him back off of Moxley and fires Stokely. And they turn around and beat up MJF. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, a, a turn always, the dusty roads turn against Gary Hart's army, whatever. When you have groups that are all equal, that have all been together for a long time, that have history amongst them, Sting being kicked out of the horsemen after that, you know, uh, long drawn out saga, or Oli turning babyface and laying in wait for two years to stab Dusty in the back, or we can go on and on. But right here, you had five interchangeable right now job guys with the only guys really getting any attention being the gun boys and the rest of them having been on TV or not on TV or just got to the company, never been used in a prominent position, and a manager that's been there for six weeks, and they're all kicking the shit out of really overall the most valuable young talent in the company. And they not only beat him up, but they took him out to ringside and they put him through a table. Because God damn it, I'm telling you, there's nothing going to cause any more attention and, and people to be outraged than somebody on a wrestling program in this day and age going through a fucking table. So, as we mentioned, between the adolescent childishness of the smear campaign of the Bucks and Olivier to badmouth punk behind his back and damage that relationship because they were shown up by him to Jericho, the canned ham society. I'm sorry, the appreciation, appreciation society, him knowing how to manipulate Tony for his creative ends, moving punk out of the way. Let's now make sure that MJF is right where we can keep an eye on him. Cause he was getting too hot. The EVPs don't care about MJF. They won't interact with him because he's not in their social circle. They like to play with their friends exclusively. But, you know, I have faith and confidence in MJF either doing the absolute best that anybody could with material he's given, or if he comes up with his own shit, it always making sense and it always working to his best advantage because he has a sense about that. But he's now entering into situations where he's still not the boss and Tony Khan thinks he's a booker and he's got other people he's going to be working with and anything that's out of his control or away from his wheelhouse, there's still going to be things that are going to be contributing negatively to his overall presentation that he won't be able to control if he's put in the position I think he's about to be put in. But there you have that. So that's the way we went off the air. MJF uh, through laying in the middle of broken furniture, flat of his back on the floor, 
and the Cucamonga kids and Harpo are back apparently in somewhat control of the situation. Your thoughts on that last one, my boy? Well, I'm not a big fan of uh, the Moxley matches, so I'm not even going to grade it for that. He's very over with their fans, I think. I mean, they're blasting wild thing, but I think when they're not blasting it, you, maybe there's fans. He's, he's, he's over for the kind of people that like that kind of thing. Yeah. That's the kind of thing those people like. You know, then I say, okay, I'm going to give it a chance, and I start watching it. I'm like, oh, no, he's terrible. He's the worst fucking wrestler. But the angle's really the big deal here, and the angle's really the problem. I hate to say this, but I was thinking about it. It feels like this is the first stuff with MJF that isn't really clicking since the Jericho feud. We had a whole year. We We had a little bit, I guess a little bit more than a year of MJF doing other things, not just Punk. He did Darby Allen, tried to do something with Pillman Jr., but... I'm going to guess that wasn't MJF's fault, that it didn't work out well. Yeah, yeah. But now, it wasn't a good feeling at the end of the show. It kind of felt like, in a way, a, the Dark Order beating down the Young Bucks, what I'm sure all those fans felt when Tony had to take the reins in the book. I don't know about this. And uh, I don't, for anyone arguing about MJF being a babyface, did you like seeing him as a babyface selling? No! It's, you know, it's like you take a natural talent away from the things they do that makes them not only natural, but unique and put them in another position. You're, and believe me, I went through it with, and, and neither me nor the Midnight Express was in the same position MJF is now, obviously, but we tried to be baby faces and it only worked with the original Midnight and Heyman because there was there was a protagonist and an antagonist for each one of us and prior history amongst the whole group. But once that we finished with that program too early, unfortunately, and had to do anything else as baby faces, it didn't work. Because then what the people liked about our performance, our match, the way that we did fuck people around, the way that the Midnight Express wrestled, we had to change the construct of the entire match and the psychology behind it. And then we were hanging on because of our previous stellar reputation. And that's when I started looking for ways to switch back as quickly as possible. You know, I, I'm very trepidatious about this. And you don't, again, just because the song is Sympathy for the Devil, you don't want to feel sympathy for the devil. You can admire the devil's awe-inspiring power and might and fucking take the ride with the devil to see what all is going to go on, but you don't want to fucking be put in a position. I wish I could do something to help him. Poor devil. Well, on the other hand, though, to what I said earlier, you know, the word swerve became a forbidden word amongst many for many years. It was overused and used by many because one guy heard the word and thought he knew what it meant and then changed the whole fucking thing and ran wild with it if this is a big swerve where mjf isn't going to turn babyface, and mjf may come out of the title match with the belt whether regal's on his side whether he turns against regal whether the firm and him make up whether he paid them to kick his ass and put him through a table which i'm not justifying if that's <laughs> what it is in any way if it was all a swerve, 
do you feel like it could work or do you feel like, eh, you, you no. know, this was, <laughs> and no. like you said, the firm have been, even the time they've been together, they've barely been on TV. Well, yeah. And besides that, again, if MJF was really who MJF has presented himself as and was always purported to be, would his plan be, I'm going to take an ass kicking and potentially get injured because this is supposed to be dangerous going through a table two or three weeks or whatever before my big title match? Or can I come up with a, a way to be a conniving, backstabbing, evil, crooked prick without getting my ass kicked by my own people? See, it, it wouldn't be something MJF would do anyway. He would come up with a a brilliant Machiavellian plan where he suffered as little physical damage as possible and sacrificed one of his own people in some respect. If there was any plot going to be fucking plotted. So that, no, that wouldn't be a, then it wouldn't make sense in hindsight, looking back on it, it wouldn't be a good angle because it made everybody look fucking goofy. And it looks like something that Shitstain would contrive as a swerve during the Attitude Era that people just glossed over and didn't care whether it made any sense or not because Steve Austin. But that that's not the case anymore. How about a double turn where <laughs> William Regal's so impressed by what MJF's doing that he ends up saying to the Blackpool Combat Club, you know what, let's go with him. And with all your amazing wrestling skills, we'll now learn how to cheat. And Moxley... Who better than the plumber to lead the group of independent contractors who look like they don't belong together? It looks perfect. It sounds perfect. It would be perfect. Moxley what? and the firm versus MJF and the Blackpool Combat Club. What you had earlier was actually brilliant. If MJF did somehow just a raw fuck to Moxley on pay-per-view and fucked him out of the title in the most cheating way possible, and then Regal came out and fucking embraced him because that's what he was trying to make MJF do all along, push him to that next level of treachery because he's always admired him and blah, blah, blah. And then you've got Regal and fucking MJF. If you want to do something out of all the potential scenarios we've talked about and what is apparently unfolding in front of us, that one sounds like it'd be the most fun, but he could just not have panicked and fucked with something real quick on the sperm of the moment like he does every time something happens and take a few weeks, sit down and assess the situation. Think about it. MJF and Regal embrace on the stage. Out from the back come the other members of the Blackpool Combat Club. Danielson and MJF shake hands. Claudio and him hug. Wheeler Yuta, before he gets a chance, MJF just pushes him off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Into a vat of boiling oil below. Well, I didn't say that. Now you've taken it too far. You've taken it well, way too far. Well, you know, far. we got we got a budget now. Let's really do this thing right. Uh, Jim, before we wrap things up, we have gone a while here, but we have some breaking news. Or Uh-oh. I don't know how broken it is. It certainly isn't fixed, though. But, Jim, we have some news that's coming out. Fightful Select is reporting. Uh, this is sent by a few of the listeners to the drive-thru email, Jericho approached CM Punk unhappy about the brawl-out fight as the brawl-out fight. The brawl-out fight? Unhappy about the brawl-out fight as well as the nature of the scrum that had just taken place. Jericho told CM Punk that he was a cancer to the locker room and a detriment to the company. 
Those we've spoken to didn't recount CM Punk's reply verbatim, but said that he effectively told Jericho it wasn't his business and he needed to leave. (laughs) 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 Can you imagine you're in the middle of all this shit and you and your friend are fighting these other guys who have fucked with you and his girl is there and your dog is there and people are screaming and all this shit and you're fucking been hit in one way or another and you're hurt and you're bloody. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, Jericho runs in. Probably just combed his hair. Stop enough, everyone, stop! You're a cancer to the locker room, said Mr. Pot to Mr. Kettle. And I wish we got the exact quote, but I'm sure that Punk probably drew his fist back from one of the Bucks' face and took his other foot out of the other Bucks' ass and turned over to Jericho and said, It's not any of your business, and I think you should go now. And then resumed ripping out carotid arteries. Thanks for showing up, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Where were you when we all needed you? Why didn't you run in with everyone else? Where were you, Chris? If he's worried about being a locker room leader, why wasn't he one of the people that went to Tony Khan and said, you've been hearing about this, and you've been hearing about this, and, and you've been warned that it's headed to a physical confrontation and there's going to be some type of showdown and you're frivolously ignoring this why didn't chris step up and be a locker room leader by getting tony to address the situation that he had been informed of over and over again because he wanted punk gone he never wanted punk there to begin with no it couldn't be that couldn't be that why they had a a long series of matches back in the old WWF days, didn't they? They go yeah. way back. <laughs> yeah, how how far back? That's a long time ago that you're talking about. Well, I'm sure some things stay with you. Can you imagine working a long series with Chris Jericho? And how I'm sure that was interesting discussions on how that would go even back then. And to be honest, that's kind of the end of Chris Jericho when he was Chris Jericho. That's kind of the end of that period right there. Well, he may be back on his period because he's now he's f- firmly back. Oh, in the, I set you up so in the seat here in control of of the period he's having right now, ladies and gentlemen. And well, we're going to keep an eye on that as well as any other breaking news. And we're trying to get an interview next week here on the program. I'm not sure we're going to be able to do it. Uh, I've reached out to the representatives of Larry Talbot's dentist. And we're going to see if we can get an exclusive interview next week to determine whether they were molars or incisors, or even the 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 canine teeth as they were that had to come out of poor Larry. But we wish Larry well, and Harley Quinn sends her puppy kisses and love, Larry. Have you got any closing thoughts? Yeah, Swami says you should have been a Met fan, Larry. Sorry. Hey. Hey, what? It's not Larry's fault he has good taste in baseball. Anyway. You are a traitor. How all of a sudden now you embrace the Cubs? Well, hey, the Cubs never did anything to me. Either did the Mets. Yes, they did. What'd they do? They they came from New York. See? No, I don't see. I don't see in any I could completely fault that logic. In fact, I would dare not even call it logic. But we'll be back with everyone on the drive-thru where we will talk about WWE Crown Jewel as well How as... How dare you call my illogic logic? The a- don't call my logic illogical. 
We will talk about the AEW women's roster and uh, maybe any other thoughts about the roster now that you went through part one and part two of the gigantic roster and the people who are actually listed on the website. And that's it. More fun from there. Yes, that's your program. We'll talk about the raunchy roster and other things. And next week, back here on The Experience, we'll, we'll have another experience and we'll talk about all the things that have happened since the last time we had an experience. How long has it been since you've had an experience, Brian? I have an experience every day. Hey, what do you, uh, did you ever get to meet Jerry Lee Lewis? No, I never did. No, I never did, but he's dead now, so I'll never have another chance. He's a real killer. We used to drive through Faraday, Louisiana a lot in uh, Mid-South, but I never stopped and took pictures at his old childhood home. I did stop by Jimmy Swaggart's house one day, but they ran me off. That's his cousin. Yes, I know. That's why I mentioned him. There's a great biography by Nick Tosh. It's one of the greatest biographies or rock and roll biographies ever called Hellfire. It's insane. It's a beautiful book, beautifully written and an incredible story. And you have to love a book that begins with Jerry Lewis showing up at Graceland with a gun, asking to see Elvis. <laughs> that's how the book <laughs> begins. And it's just incredible. It's a beautiful book. You know, everybody knows that story, don't they? I don't think. Well, maybe now that he's passed away, the story will be everywhere in the newspaper. But... Be, yeah, the, he didn't get past the gate, but I think, didn't he, did he fire a shot or two in the air? He had the gun. He wanted to see Elvis. It was late at night. Elvis wasn't even there. It was Owen. All right, those were your closing thoughts, and uh, we were almost done, and then somehow we got drugged back in one more time. Folks, until the drive through and next week's experience, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late, which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Watch Kenny Omega while I'm at
wrestling heaven. Don't listen to Corny, he hasn't been relevant since 87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick, or that Bobby Eaton could hold the camera to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. Here comes Nero, wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer, make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer. Don't come in, Mom. Don't come in. Are you touching yourself again? No. Same nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch this show Elser says I'm in the key demo I am 39, I'm in the key demo I'm a single male, I'm in the key demo oh, Elser says I'm in the key demo 